Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Revely, revely, dogs. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Hey, it's Wednesday. Fuck your life. It's time for MK. My name is Luke Thomas. I'm one half of your host and do it. That's Brian Campbell. What's up, loser? (laughs) <laughs> oh wow yeah that's how we're doing it today okay luke uh happy to be back let's climb that hump together all right hump brian day. camel that's my name brian camel yeah hump day bc uh great day here so if you're watching on the youtubes thumbs up hit subscribe all that dumb shit and uh happy to be back that's what i'm supposed to tell you anyway uh bc i went to the doctor yesterday i mostly got a clean bill of health uh i mean i got a clean bill of health so had the colonoscopy. I'll say this, BC. Had the best sleep I've had in three years when they put me under. If they could do that every fucking night of my life, I would do that. You understand that? Yeah, yeah. No, not the first time you've willingly, right? <laughs> you know. All right, Luke. All right, it fell apart on the way there. But I'm happy to hear that you, you know, because you almost died that time at Beckett's Hospital in New London, yep. and yep. I would have had to, you know pen your obituary in real time there with Matt Snyder, but I'm glad it didn't happen. Great to have you back. I'm so happy that you've decided to put your health first, Luke, okay? Because I have to go to the doctor tomorrow to have him tell me that my liver numbers are probably, you know, on a... Yes, health first with my energy drinks and vapes. Uh, All right, everyone, welcome to MK. A lot of stuff to get to today. We'll do a little quick Contender Series reaction. We'll talk about Eddie Alvarez splitting with one. Bellator, by the way, is on Friday. We'll get you ready a little bit for that. Plus, there's some odds and ends. We'll play a little fill in the blank, and then I think we'll have some fan subs today, too. So appreciate you guys tuning in. If you want to get Showtime, Showtime.com is the label that pays. Go to Showtime.com. Get a 30-day free trial if you like it. You can keep it. If not, you can bounce. People are like, oh, what does that have to do with Paramount Plus? I have no fucking idea. But for now, Showtime is where it's all at. Uh, merch, BC, you're wearing some of it. I did not wear any today, um, but you've got it on there. Morningcombat.store. What did RJ Waltzernutzer say to you this morning? Yeah, well, all, all RJ Dr. Nasser was like, uh, we're selling shit. Go to morningcombat.store. Uh, you can look good with this. Look, at one point, this was one of our highest sellers, but that porn shirt just blew up, apparently, which is just yeah. a disgusting uh, referendum on the uh, morals and standards of both our audience and our merch providers. So there you go right there. But we got the best shit possible. A lot of wholesome shit on there, too. You can get baby bibs and probably even adult bibs. So uh, check that out today. Tell them. BC sent you. Yeah. And of course, morningcombat at gmail.com to reach the producers for Wednesday's fan subs, for Friday's Dead Wrong, or for anything else. The producers do read that. As one reminder, you want to vote for us, please do so 
You can go for the World MMA Awards. We are up for back-to-back nominations, potentially back-to-back winners. You can put your phone up on the screen, use the QR code there. You can go to worldmmaawards.com slash nominees. Voting is almost closed, so you need to get that in ASAP if you want us to be some back-to-back winners. Yeah, Uh, vote vote for Bronstetter, too, if you like that, too. I mean, I don't care. If you're an Ariel guy, vote for that guy, too, all right? Just not against us, because Ariel, we're coming for you. All right. Uh, With that in mind, BC, I want to remind everyone that, uh, speaking of health and wellness, one thing that we do to keep our health on track, there's many things you have to do to keep your health on track, but one way to really help that, BC, is with some AG1, some athletic greens, is it not? Luke, I've been thinking about forming a gang with our listeners. Why don't you call this gang green? You know what I'm talking about here? Why? Because it's time to put your health first. I got a few steps for you. It's easy. It doesn't involve a Peloton bike. How about one scoop of the green magic power every morning? I put it in water. Sometimes I put it in a shake. But the whole idea here is it doesn't taste super healthy. It tastes clean, tropical, and it helps me start my day with vitamins and minerals the right way. Works on your gut health, which, by the way, I can assure you is extremely important. Nervous system, immune support, recovery focus, aging, lots of benefits. Yeah, people are like, what is that green stuff? Ground up money? Well, it'll make you feel like money, I'll tell you that much. What it really is is 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, adaptogens, all the stuff that you're missing. It's there in one scoop, brother. AG1. Okay? And... You can travel with it, as BC and I often do. Yeah, and if you've got a lifestyle that's friendly in different areas, yeah, I'm talking about you keto heads out there, the paleos, the vegans, the dairy-free guys, the gluten-free guys. It's GF all day on this bitch because AG1 contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals or artificial anything. I'm sure there's no MSG in that shit either, but at the end of the day, it still tastes good. Go figure, right? Damn. Cost you... Costs you less than $3 a day, you're investing in your health, and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. Yeah, I mean, a small micro habit with big benefits, okay? And don't just ask me, how about those 7,000 people who gave Athletic Greens a five-star review? And how about them leading health experts? Yeah, Tim Ferriss. Yeah, Michael Gervais. I'm looking at you. Gang green, baby. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into the flu and cold season. Just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. And uh, that's it right there. Morning Combat is your, uh, is. I'm sorry, what, what was it, uh, Luke? I, hold on, I've, I've lost my place here in, in line. Let me clear Let me clear out. Uh, Luke, did you talk about how easy that they're making this deal? Because I can talk about that. Yeah, why don't, you tell, why don't you do the call to action verbatim? Well, here's the deal. Um, your first purchase, how about we throw in for free a one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D drops, and those five free travel packs that makes it easier for you to stay clean on the road. Here's where you need to go. Athleticgreens.com slash morning combat. It's, it's, it's a fantastic partnership. Let's consummate. Again, that's athleticgreens, plural, dot com slash morning combat, combat with a K, to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right, BC. If I told you I bathed in this, would you, would you look at me differently? A little. Uh, well, I mean, there's not much I could do to think less of you at this point. But, you know, there's always room for weird. All right, real quickly, before we talk about Eddie Alvarez and the one split, there was an interesting situation last night on the Contender Series. There was five fights. I think everyone got a contract or something along those lines. Uh, but that's not the point. But they had a 17-year-old, Rosas. I uh, forget his – I got his name up here somewhere. I'll get it in just a second. His last name is Rosas. Uh, Raul Rosas, I believe, is his name. And Junior. Junior. 
Little junior, junior, yes. And, Puts and he some was 17 years old, which yeah, 17 years old, which means he had to get basically a waiver from the Nevada Athletic Commission to compete because you otherwise have to be 18 to even apply for a license. He gets it. He wins his fight. BC, your impressions of how he looked against his opponent Gutierrez. And did you agree with Dana giving him a contract? And I want to point out something here. I don't know that it's a apples-to-apples comparison, but I see people bringing it up. Bo Nickel, right, one of the best wrestlers ever out of Penn State, a three-time <laughs> national champion, doesn't have as many pro fights, obviously, but has way more combat sports experience, didn't get one after demolishing his opponent in like 30 seconds or whatever it was. Yeah, this seemed like a contrast to that. I'm not necessarily mad at it, but let's start start with the performance. Was it impressive? Absolutely. This kid's 17, Luke. I mean, I mean, we could fill hours of material about things we were doing at 17 that was very disappointing and depressing compared to this. He fights like a grown man. The activity, as Dana pointed out on the bottom, was key. His ground game, his ability to get in and out of dangerous situations and still find a way. Look, the promise jumps off of him. Uh, it's a great marketing tool to have essentially a teenager on here when, you know, we haven't really truly seen at this age and this modern era, you know, an elite fighter like this just come on board. I mean, one's got a couple teenagers at, at the high level, right, Luke? Christian Lee was fighting in one when he was 17. So, um, but I'm saying it, it, it's rare, right? We've seen, you know, we've seen in boxing, Wilfred Benitez was a world champion at 17. We see mm -hmm. so many fighters in different cultures, including Mexico and boxing, turn pro at 15. I mean, Canelo's been boxing professionally for 17 years, 62 fights. So, Luke, was the performance three rounds worthy of the... Yeah, there's so much potential here. But this is an interesting conversation because there are certain combat sports... I'm saying, sorry, there are certain sports that involve physical contact... Where, you know, the NFL, would you ever drop a teenager in there? You wouldn't. You'd send them to a, you know, major D1 school for most likely two years and, and let them physically develop. You don't see, you know, 14-year-olds that are really good at basketball walk into the NBA. Maybe other sports, golf and tennis are different, but although boxing, it, MMA's brethren in this is regularly doing that, is it the right move, Luke, to subject a teenager to this level of matchmaking and competition? Um in part because of the young age, for sure, but also in part because as much as the Dana White Contender Series has been a monster success in finding fresh talent and really just catapulting people into the main roster and big opportunities, we've seen a few too much too soon failures. I saw Dana make a positive comparison of Mickey Gall to Rojas, but we could just as quickly use Gall or, or Sage Northcutt as sort of like maybe too much too soon type of situations, although I get the point. Gall turned out to be a credible, you know, day-to-day -day fighter there. Um, look, I don't really know. Should we have concerns? Should there be safeguards? Is Should there be any reason when you've got the talent of Rojas, who doesn't look like he's ready to fight for a world title, right? But looks like he belongs at least at this play-in level here that they've created with this with this reality show. Should we have physical or mental concerns of, of throwing a teenager into this kind of fire? Yeah, I don't agree with this call by Dana White at all. Um Two things I would say. Number one is everyone's like, oh my God, he's crazy talented. He's very talented. I don't know that I see crazy talent, right. nor, nor should I. He's 17. It wouldn't really be possible to be like insanely talented. He's very talented. I saw Aaron Bronsetter, who I love. He was saying, oh my God, his grappling is high level. Well, it is and it isn't, right? I mean, his positional achievement and his positional control were pretty good. Actually, were very good. I'll give him credit there. They were very, very good. I wouldn't knock that at all. But if you have the back for as long as he did and you can't finish, there are some finishing issues. And that's okay if you're 17. You're not supposed to be that good at 17, and I don't think he's that good. 
necessarily at 17. He's very, very good in certain ways. But, you know, if you have the back for that amount of time in MMA for like, I think he had the back for like almost five minutes in a 15 minute fight and there was hardly any ground and pound. He had the Sulawev stretch, but it ended up I mean, the Sulawev stretch. People were looking at the photos where Gutierrez's leg was turned on the inside and it looks gruesome. But the Sulawev stretch is to rip the hamstrings. That's not a hamstring ripper. That's just he's just cranking on something. The point I'm trying to make here is he fights with a lot of intensity in certain areas. He clearly does have a lot of ability. But he is like not even close. I mean, not you're that you're supposed to be at seventeen, but he's not even close to being anywhere even remotely approximating a a finished product. But b I think a UFC ready product. Now, obviously, he can probably beat some guys in the UFC at the lower level. They can matchmake him in certain ways to give him time. But this idea that like oh my god, his t- like like what we were looking at was like Boots Ennis or something. Right. No, no, that's not what you're looking at here at all. And I guess the second point I would raise is, dude, if you're seventeen. Can I guarantee that he will go to the UFC and it will automatically fuck up his development? No, of course not. There are certainly ways where, especially if the people around him are very, very careful and he takes just the right fights and the matchmakers do him some solids along the way, where he could develop into something actually very impressive. He does have, I believe, that potential. Yes, I agree with the potential argument. But, like, dude, he fought exactly the way you would imagine a very talented 17-year-old to fight. Tons of intensity, Tons of aggression, and the way he was striking, if he fought anybody else who was like reasonably you know, uh, uh, talented at that level, he would have gotten demolished on the feet. Again, we're talking about a 17-year-old. He's not supposed to be all that great. I'm not knocking the guy for being where he's at. He's For what, for what, for what age he is, he's very, very good. But here's the point I'm trying to make. If the people around him aren't careful, and if the matchmakers aren't careful they probably will fuck up his development. It is not, the UFC is not the place to go to to round out your game. You can sharpen it. um, Certainly as you get up there, people get better over time, no doubt about it, you see that. But if you don't walk in there with a much more developed skill set, I will put it this way. There is a high potential, anyway, to fuck up your development. So I, I, I would have given him a development deal. I would have done something like that because he clearly does have a lot of potential, but he is super green in a yeah. lot of areas. And I just didn't understand people being like, oh, my God, we're looking at the next BJ Penn. No, you're not. Well, we want – look, it's 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 a good marketing tool for the show to have a teenager on there. We want to see great – you know, uh, uh, unique greatness in that regard. I agree with you that, the, you know, it wasn't even like young Aaron Pico, meaning heading into that pro debut, there was enough sort of buzz and – proven tape of like holy shit Aaron Pico might be ready to just walk in here off the street and and make this happen because he'd been groomed for so long I will give Rojas the credit that it did seem that he had sort of like next level Rosas Rosas not Rojas Rosa what'd you say Rosas it's R-O-S-A-S not Rosas yeah sorry I I don't want to get that wrong thank you um you know the poise certainly was next level for 17 and you said you know maybe you saw finishing issues for 17 year old Luke we surely didn't have that that age. In fact, you know, if anything, we were finishing too quickly. But the greater point is, do you think, given the almost hypocritical response in comparison to how Dana's handling Bo Nickel, do you think he's willing to risk it all for the idea of potentially having a 17 or 18-year-old, you know, competing in like a, you know, top 10, top 15, and sort of making a push as this young phenom? Or do you think this signing is more about what you mentioned, a potential developmental deal like Chase Hooper signed, like Greg Hardy went and took, you know, some regional-ish fights after his contender series performance. Should the, I guess my question is this, Luke. 
Should there be, should the UFC own an in-between? They already kind of do from the standpoint that they have all of these regional, you know, and and some well-regarded regional MMA properties under their banner on UFC Fight Pass. But do you think there should be an in-between in this case when you do have somebody who has unnatural ability for the age, but I don't really sure it's his best interest to be fighting on the undercard of a UFC card, you know, in the next next year, really. Should there be a UFC developmental league that he can get two or three fights on, or is that just basically regional MMA? This is regional MMA, and you just don't want UFC occupying yet more space in MMA. It's not healthy. But I want to point out something. The guy he beat yesterday, Mando Gutierrez, that's a solid win. Like, it's a very, very, uh, uh, let's be very clear about that. Again, we're grading him as a 17-year-old, so what he did as a 17-year-old is, in that sense, very impressive. And beating Mando Gutierrez, that was a very uh, impressive win. I'll give that to him. Here's the guys he beat before this. Andre Porto Carrero, who was coming into the fight 0-3, is now 0-4. His opponent before that, Peñalosa, 2-1. His opponent before that, uh, Villanueva, 1-1. His opponent before that, Peña... One and one, and his opponent before that, which was uh, his pro debut, I believe, Velasquez, zero and two. What about any of that screams prodigy to anybody? Like again, he's not—he's seventeen. He's not supposed to be a prodigy, but like people are like, "Oh my God, he looked amazing." He looked like a very talented, very green seventeen-year-old. He did not look to me like any kind of prodigy whatsoever. Nor is it really possible to be. A prodigy at 17 years old. You got to wait a few years. 2021, got to get a little bit of man strength under you. And again, he could develop into that, but that's where the point you raise comes in. I, if I was a UFC, I would have signed him to a developmental deal and then allowed him to fight in LFA, allowed him to fight in CFFC, allowed him to fight in wherever the fuck. He, I think he's in Las Vegas. So whatever's around in Las t- Tough Enough or whatever is around those parts, that's what I would have done. Get the, get, let, let, he clearly has high potential, very high potential. But the actual reality of what you have, he hasn't. The, the, he's got the one really, really good win against Gutierrez, and he had clear finishing issues in the department where he's supposed to be the very best. That's not a guy who should be signed to the UFC. I cannot guarantee this will be a disaster, but there is at least a lot of ways this could go poorly. And I didn't, I didn't really agree that he should be getting a deal. But okay, so in light of Dana's decision for what he did with Bo Nickel, which it seemed like it was. A lot of, let's get another ratings boon out of this because he does seem to be legit. And also, I think at the time we were like, you can't argue against Dana. Like, he still is green, Bo Nickel. He still needs more challenges, of course. Well, this kid is in an almost, you know, even deeper hole in that regard. So, at what like, is this the kind of category you think Dana would have either poor judgment or not care about the judge? Like, how bad do you think Dana and company lust after the idea even though this kid does not give you 20 year old mike tyson vibes winning the heavyweight championship he doesn't give you those vibes right that's a different special creature but how much do you think they lust after that to legitimately have a you know ratings bonanza if he was if he was 27 now granted i I understand being 17 means what he has done i want to be very clear about this it's very impressive and his potential is certainly very 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 high but if he was 27 and fought the way that he did and had the record that he did, would they have signed him? No fucking no. chance. In other so, words, like the question is, are they grading him on a curve? Yes, they are obviously grading him on a curve, which means they're going to have to match make him on a curve. I think that sort of thing is better suited for if, if you have to be match made on a curve that much again there's always a little bit of help that they can give someone like you know sean o'malley had a couple of soft entries into the ufc and that's fine look what he's turned into he's become pretty good 
But if they have to grade you on a curve that much, you need to still be in regional MMA and work on your game. Dude, I'm telling you, once you get to the UFC, they can help you a little bit for sure. But at some point, your development needs to be on track. And fighting really tough grown men can fuck that up. Pride was famous for this in a much worse way. They used to sign as as like a spectacle. They would sign Olympic gold medalists from judo or wrestling and then just throw them to the deep end. And these guys, even if they fought out their first one or two fights, they would get fucked up. They would never turn into what they were supposed to because once you get to that that level, if you get exposed to it too quickly, it will ruin you. It will ruin you. This kid yeah. is too good to risk that to me. I mean, look, even Fernando Vargas in boxing, who's like a borderline Hall of Famer, right? Even he, Luke, you look back for a kid, for somebody who won world titles as a teenager, basically, and fought, you know, Oscar De La Hoya and Felix Trinidad in major pay-per-views, I think before even turning 22, we look back at the beatings he took in those knockout losses, even though he had moments, of course, as sort of saying, man, I wonder if that stunted his long-term growth. I wonder if he's one of those guys that in hindsight, you would have soft matched a little bit further into his 20s to get him that experience. This is something completely different. So I almost want to re-ask the question I asked you, even though you gave a great answer to your own thoughts, to the spear of my question. I just watched a Dana White interview yesterday in which he was talking about the, or I'm sorry, I read one where he was talking about Joe Pfeiffer and the success of the contender series. And look, he said, this contender series is so hot. I, I guarantee you it'll be on ESPN before you know it. That was more or less what he said. I'm paraphrasing. How much do you think Dana would, in this case, not care about if you can burn this kid out or, or, or you know, give him too much too soon for what it could say about his series if a, you know, 17 or 18 year old kid is fighting on the real UFC on ESPN. And you're pointing back to look another win for Dana White and company, which by the way, like, look, I love the series. I'm not here to trash it, but do you think in this case, they would be ready and willing to do the exact opposite of a Bo nickel and just throw him directly to the wolves under the hope that if it works out, look at what we made. No, I think what will happen is they'll give him the Sage Northcut treatment, right? They'll give him somebody at first that he can beat, maybe somebody second he can beat, maybe even somebody in the third fight he should beat no problem. But like he's talking about, I want to be champion by 20. Good luck, young man. You're going to need it. Good luck. Uh, even John, even the great John Jones couldn't do something like that, and he broke all the rules in every kind of way. Again, who's to say? No one can predict the future. I can't predict the future. I'm happy to eat crow if he ends up getting a belt at 20. I didn't see anything there that told me in two years' time he was going to be the very best in his weight class at 135 pounds. By the way, it should also be pointed out that his opponent, Mando Gutierrez, that was a good win he got. I want to be very clear. It was a solid win. But you saw Mando Gutierrez's corner pleading with him to stop making the same mistakes over and over again. The commentary table being like, why is he making these choices? There was a lot of bad choices that aided the performance here. And again, it sounds like I'm beating up on the kid. I'm not. What I'm trying to do is warn people that if you rush somebody, even as promising as Rosas Jr., even as good as he is at 17, if you rush that, you will fucking ruin it. You will ruin it. And I'm trying to avoid that. I want to get the most out of this kid, not the first out of this kid. Luke, I say this with respect, but I tend to believe that if you were born 100 years earlier, you would have been a huge proponent of prohibition and you would have been left and right trying to turn down all speakeasies and, and like anyone having fun, you would have been like, fuck Dude. off. MMA people, people in MMA love to get on bandwagons. They fucking love to buy promoter hype. They love to just, oh yeah, someone's doing something that is sounds cool on the broadcast. Let's just say yes to it. 
Dude, someone has to be there to be the fucking bad guy. Okay, I'll be the bad guy. The kid is talented. No argument. He's very talented. One of the more talented 17-year-olds I've ever seen. Fine. Is he UFC ready? Not really. And could this fuck up his development? Very possibly. Yeah. I don't know why you would rush that. That's my only point. Thank you, UFC ombudsman. Thank you. No, I agree go. with you. All right. I agree with Let's you. get to topic number one, Then, as uh, that was our preamble. Here was big news that actually hit last night during the broadcast for the Contender Series. Eddie Alvarez and one championship have split. And apparently it was amicable, at least as it was reported in the news. Who knows what the actual story is there. Uh, and then Eddie Alvarez then took to Twitter to confirm the news. He said he was done. He still is on good terms with one. He wishes them well. But here you see the tweet right here, the last part of it. I look forward to watching their continued success, talking about one. I'm officially a free agent and ready to hunt. Tell me who's next, UGK. Now, that's not a reference to the hip-hop group. That is Underground King. Uh, BC, I've got some thoughts on this, but let's go to you first. Well, Your first reaction I want you to, to this news. Put some respect on Nico Atkin of the South China Morning Post for breaking this story, Luke. Yes. I don't. You probably won't know this, but I was his editor at ESPN for a hot second, okay? Mm. Thank you. Thank you. Shout out to Very Nico cool. Atkin there. Uh, Luke, team me up. Let's go. I just did. What is your reaction to the news? Oh, all right. All right. I cut you off there. Sorry, Luke. Uh, my reaction is I'm excited. I'm excited about the potential new fun fights that can be made for what's left of 38-year-old Eddie Alvarez, who only fights one way and in the second half of his career especially. Uh, the one movement was probably financially a boon for him, and I and I hope for him and his family it was, and he deserves it. It it, it didn't go, you know, in the end. What was he one and two with a no contest? It didn't go in the end for for one as an advertisement of come American MMA fans come see this onto the level that they might have hoped. Although it did help them put over you know some more homegrown guys who had a chance to go in there and have success against Eddie. But for whatever it was, Luke, that wasn't any monster success for him. He's still in this era of aging hardcore legends can make some very fun fights. So my question to you is, who do you think will be most aggressive for his services and what type of uh, fun fights we didn't think could fall in our lap between aging action heroes could actually be made here that would get you fired up? So a couple of interesting things to think about. To answer your question first, he could go back to Bellator because, correct me if I'm wrong, when he split, it was pre-2014. Yes, that's right. It was 2013 when he finally left, and Bjorn Rebney was relieved of his services in 2014. So Scott Coker could have a very different relationship with Eddie Alvarez than Bjorn Rebney ever did. That's one thing to consider. So there's that. A lot of people pointing to the PFL. They would love to get him in there. You could do a uh, potentially. Uh, it would, you have to play with the weight a little bit, obviously, but you could do a Shane Burgos and Eddie Alvarez fight if you wanted to go to 155. So there's some interesting opportunities there as well. He says he wants to, wants to box. I don't really know what his options could be. Another sort of interesting player in the market, I don't really know if this is true, but it's something to think about, Nate Diaz's promotion, Real Inc. One wonders if that'd be something interesting. Not that Nate would sign to fight him, although I suppose they could do that, but I don't think that they would, but that they might sign Eddie as like a centerpiece in all of that. So he's got, at least on the MMA side, some options, but you brought up some things that I think are worthy of consideration here. Number one, he's 38. He'll be 39 in January. So he is at this weight class old. Sorry, it's just what it is. Like 39. Yeah, we're at, looking at two fun money fights here, right? That's what we're looking at. Probably something like that. Something like that. So I also want to say, I think that the run with one, like when one signed that trio of guys, Demetrius, Eddie, and Sage Northcutt, 
I think that the deal with Demetrius worked out really, really well. Like that was something that they can look back on and be like, did we get the better end of that deal? Or at least did this, did this deal deliver on uh, onto us what we had hoped on the Demetrius Johnson side? I think it has. I think it has and then some. It's worked out really, really well for both Demetrius and one championship. Two thumbs up there. The Sage Northcutt one, I think, blew up in their face. They matchmade him very poorly against Cosmo Alexandre. He got his face broken in a million pieces, and he hasn't been back since. They may have ruined him as well. So something to think about there. On the side with Eddie, it was just weird. They, ma- they matched him up with Timothy Nastyukin, who fucked him up in the first round. Then remember, tore both of his eyelids. They weren't even sure if he was going to be able to fight again. Then he comes back and takes on the, the one of the sort of the pioneers of Filipino MMA, Edward Foliang, gets dropped in the first round, but then comes back and has a sensational win. Okay, two thumbs up. A couple matches fell through. Had the fight on TNT against Lapicus, but then there was the shots to the back of the head. That was a controversial call, so that got turned into a no contest. And then in his last fight, which was in April of 2021, he fought Oak Ray Yoon and lost. And kind of, I won't say cleanly lost, but he got dropped in that one, rocked several times, couldn't really take down uh, Oak Ray Yoon. And it just didn't it was a like that whatever that run was supposed to be with one uh it just didn't materialize and i would attribute that largely to age bc he's had a ton of miles he made his pro debut all the way back in december of 2003 i mean he's been in the sport a really 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 long time almost 20 years he's been doing this the miles are long the age is long and so i certainly hope he can get some money without i think you said two money fights left i think that'd be amazing if he can do that but I would also caution people to, you know, once again, here, bad guy, I would just caution people to manage their expectations a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about matching him against guys that are also on the way out with big, you know, big names. But he brought up boxing, and we always know he's had that ability. Uh, is great hands for, for MMA. But would you pop at, let's just say, I'm making this up. Imagine if, like, Jake's MVP promotions and Nate's fighting. What is it? Real Fight Inc.? I don't know. Whatever promotions. Yeah, Real Fight Inc. Did a you know a co deal for a boxing match between them? What about Eddie versus Jose Aldo in a boxing match in the co main? I mean, I can't sit here and say I wouldn't watch it. I obviously yeah. would watch it. Okay, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not going to sit here and shit on that. Uh, you know how much? The question though is not like would you watch it or would I watch it? We are pathetic degenerates who are paid to watch. So either way, we're going to watch. The question is, what would the market bear for that? I don't know. I really don't know. I don't. I, I certainly would do well, but like, how well would it do? We just had, by the way, Dan Raphael reporting that Canelo Triple G they needed to do well over 600k buys just to fucking break even, and it came in short of that. Probably around the 555, 75k mark. They fucking lost money on that, and that's the you know the arguably the best pound for pound fucking boxer in the sport in a historic trilogy. How much could Jose Aldo versus Eddie Alvarez do in boxing? I don't think it would do poorly. But could it do enough to give them money? And then I, I just don't I don't know what it would do. I don't know what it By would way, do. By the way, shout out to Showtime for doing 800,000 buys with uh, Caleb Plant and Canelo. All right. Yeah, I got to say, I like Eddie Hearn's promotions in the UK. He does not do a great job here. He does not do a great job here. Um, but in any Some case. Some people would argue that given the size of the stadiums Canelo fought in with Eddie. But I get the spirit of what you're saying. I think Eddie Hearn has the UK on lock. I really do. I think he does a fucking phenomenal job. I love his live shows. I think he brings a certain flair to it. And I, I don't I don't think Canelo likes Eddie Hearn by accident. But dude, like I, I just can't remember the last what was the what's the best job Eddie Hearn has done promoting a fight in the United States? Like clearly no bullshit, I mean, amazing job. Canelo versus Billy Joe Saunders in 
at the Cowboys Stadium did a I think it did a huge uh, gate right and had had okay. a shit ton of people there. All right, that's pro- that's a fair. I mean, point. he did he did Anthony Joshua against Andy Ruiz at Madison Square Garden. But that and blew I was there up that, in his face big time. No, it did, but that was a massive deal that night. And uh, he did the Serrano. Uh, uh, Katie Taylor fight. Okay, in, in so Mets. you know what? I'll, I'll walk back some of my criticisms a little bit. I think they're a little bit unfair. Right. So, well, I got a bit more the... important question about Eddie Hearn before we get back into another Eddie. Look, have you ever seen him in person? He is six seven, like a legit six seven. Uh, it, yeah, like, I heard he's tall. I've not seen him in person, but I've heard he's tall. Like how I stand up, and some of the guys, you know, feel the the toxicity of the cocksurety. Luke, um, do you think <laughs> Eddie Hearn right now can dunk at age thirty eight? Ooh, it's a fair question. Fair question. Now, when you say dunk, do you mean like a Nerf ball or like a full-on Spalding full, basketball? Full basketball, but, you know, you got to – I mean, you got it's got to be a dunk. It's got to be above and in. You can't throw it in, you know? I'll say yes. I'll say yes. I'd like to I'd uh, like to set this up on pay-per-view, actually, if anyone's willing. All right. That might right. sell. That might sell. All right. Any final thoughts on on Eddie and one? And by the way, we haven't really talked about we, – we were talking about what this means for, for Eddie. question is what this means for one. I would say, like – it's obviously not great that they split in this way, but I, you know, in fairness to both parties, I think both parties split and would say, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking for Eddie here, but I think what they would say is the deal didn't work as expected. So it's not great to lose Eddie Alvarez, but in terms of what they were able to get from Eddie, I just feel like it's not a, in that sense, tremendous loss. Is that Fair that's or fair. unfair? That's no, no, that's very fair. And you can and you can actually argue that just for the name value for their TNT cards and their original splash, that getting Eddie worked whether he never won a fight. And you can argue that, and that could be true. But you know, in terms of like anyone being mad at each other about exiting, like there wasn't much more he could have done for them or given them. So if he's got a chance to go wherever, let's let him have that chance. Um, qu- final, quick final on Eddie is. Uh, I don't know if I like him for a PFL season, though. I wonder if PFL, if this pay-per-view division that they're launching essentially just to keep Kayla happy ends up playing out next year. I mean, could you add, like, Eddie Alvarez in a one-off against Anthony Pettis or something? You probably could, Luke, and like a co-main, and no one would get mad at you. So don't discount something like that. But on the other side, um, do you feel like one championship needs ahead of this U.S. debut that they've been, you know, I mean, the, the pandemic got in the way of their U.S. debut, but they've been building toward this for a while do you think they need another major free agent signing ahead of that to really, you know, get people hyped up? Like we saw the the debut just now on Amazon Prime and Demetrius won the title back. It was a great sort of way to reintroduce yourself to American MMA fans. Do you think they need like a, an in their prime pickup where you're like, oh, shit, I didn't see that coming. I'm sorry. Were you asking about PFL or for one? One. Yes, but like I just wonder how much of a difference it will really make. It's not to say that like oh if they had another big I mean, imagine like well okay if they sign Nate Diaz that would be a game changer. I find that extremely unlikely, but if they did that would be a game changer. But short of signing Nate Diaz, there's no one else they could really sign that I can think of that's available that would be this game changing kind of phenomenon. It would just be a nice other addition. The real challenge of the one product, as I mentioned it before. The one product to me out of all the UFC competitors or the you know the, the promotions outside of UFC, one is the only one to me that offers a genuinely different product and for a very good reason. I like what they offer. Different rule set, different kinds of talent, you know, different kinds of fights, Muay Thai with four ounce gloves in a cage. Like it's, it's weird and it's different and it's cool. 
Uh, but at the same time, it just seems it's centered on an audience with a different sensibility than the American one. And I don't know how they're going to... They've, 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 they've properly differentiated themselves, but they might have differentiated themselves in the wrong direction. And so, you know, signing another guy would be helpful, but I don't really know if it fixes what they're up against. That's fair. I mean, it would make a splash. You know, if they can get another, another guy that's still got a lot left that can contend for one of their titles... I think that would help them move in that direction. Um, I had something else to say, but I don't remember. All right, let's just move on to point number two because there is no UFC this weekend, but there are some fights. Bellator is back on Showtime. I can't. I think the last show was like last month. It's been a little while. But Bellator 285, of course, uh, this will go down this weekend. I believe the start time, I need to get this right. I think it's the start time for the prelims is 12.30 p.m. ET. I think the main card... Is at 4 p.m. ET? I'll double check that. No, that's but, correct. 4 p.m. Okay. Eastern on Showtime Friday. But this is going to be at the Three Arena in Dublin, Ireland. If you don't already know, let me remind you, the Irish fans, if they're not the very best ones in all of MMA, they're 1A or 1B. I mean, they're right fucking there. A phenomenal crowd. And, of course, in your main event, BC, Benson Henderson taking on Peter Queeley. Benson Henderson, BC, he appears to be close to the end of his run. 38 years of age himself. Um, I think he has a birthday coming up in November, so he'll be 39. He has uh, he coming off a win against Islam Mamadov, but before that, losses to Primus, Jason Jackson, Michael Chandler. Uh, he does have a win over Miles Jury back in 2019, so he appears to be kind of petering out and sort of you know playing on words there, taking on Peter Queeley. Queeley, on the other hand, is coming off that loss to Patricky Pitbull, but had the win via doctor stoppage before that, the win over Ryan Scope. He's obviously got one of the best walkouts in MMA. He's going to have the hometown crowd behind him. How do you assess the relevance or importance of this fight? I think it's more for the regional aspects that you mentioned, although Peter Quilly did just get, what, to the title level in his two-fight series with Patricky Pitbull, with the second one being for the title, and he lost it, but did get the stoppage win the first time around. Uh, is there life left for him in the title picture? Maybe unlikely, but I understand putting him in this headlining role, and this could be a big bounce-back fight. I think for Benson Henderson, who did get that win against Mamadov, it's unlikely that he does anything with it, Luke. If he wins this, could he level up? And Certainly, but he's he's been at this level for a while, Luke, where, where you feel like... Anything can happen, meaning he could vet his way to a victory by gutting it out, or he could be the right level of opposition for a younger guy rising who's looking to make that statement. Um, I'm glad he gets this close-up opportunity, but but nothing here in the moment in terms of potential title opportunities. And by the way, did you no-sell our producer Gaff hardcore on his attempt to tell you that one should sign Blue, uh, Bruce Leroy? Yeah, Alex Caceres. Yeah, not. I mean, he he put an LOL after it, just to be clear. I think that um, was to try to save face. That's what I think he was doing. Yeah, because it would be if that was a real suggestion, it would be terrible. Um, but I don't <laughs> think that it was. Gaff is a real MMA fan. All right, but the point I'm trying to make here is here's what I think they're trying to do. BC Peter Quilly has shown some ability. He obviously has. Uh, I, I, he's a respectable fighter. I think he's deserving of respect. And I think Benson Henderson probably doesn't have a whole lot of time left in the sport. They're back in Ireland, which, by the way, I'm told that Bellator tears it up in in Ireland. They own that market in a lot of ways. They're, you know, they're giving one of the hometown guys who's got some promise a fading star who's still not going to be easy to beat, but certainly not what he once was. This is his chance to get a big win over a big name, excuse me, in the hometown 
uh, that he obviously represents. Is that a fair assessment to you? That is a very, very fair assessment to me. And what are the odds that a random Conor McGregor, Mark Goddard rematch breaks out at some point? (laughs) I don't know if it's going to be that much. So I'll say this. If you haven't ever seen Peter Queeley's walkouts in Ireland, you owe it to yourself to watch. He he comes out to zombie and the crowd goes fucking bizarre. Yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome, Luke. Like the like the Mets reliever with that trumpet. I mean, it's awesome. You you want to hate it? You can. It's pretty awesome. You know. Uh, who, who is that fucking moron that I keep I don't seeing watch all over social media? Timmy, the trumpet player. I don't really watch baseball, Luke. I or, mean, I can't or, sit here and shit on the Mets too hard because my hometown teams are all, all largely pathetic, but. Um, the Mets. Fuck the Mets. Hey, you're they a made Mets the fan, playoffs. Fuck, fuck your life. How about that? They made the playoffs, but I haven't cared in a while. Um, yeah, fuck, but, fuck the Mets. Fuck I mean, Shea Stadium. Your, fuck City Field. I didn't know that the chick who sang lead on the Cranberries died a couple years ago because I the other day Dolores was looking up like O'Reardon. I'm like, do they come around anymore? I'd like to see them. Luke, would you say that um, Zombie is you know probably the go-to track for the Cranberries, but their secondary and third radio hits were pretty damn awesome, Luke. You remember? Well, those? I'll say this: the the I think Zombie is like they're just one of their best tracks. It's just amazing. It's no linger, okay? So linger is the one you know. Linger lingered in the United States, like that was at the top of the charts for a really long time. Um, but I will agree that Zombie just has a certain kind of fucking oomph to it that the other ones don't. All right. Okay. What about that about second? That- hold on. What about that secondary hit, Dreams, where she's like. My mother. Oh wait! She told oh, me. Oh my! She told me. Does anyone yeah, care? A, you know, I mean, I'm not into that kind of shit, but my like father. It. Yeah, I'm sure McGregor grew up on that absolute bull. I like that song though, but yeah. All right, let's talk about something else here. The co-main event: a combined age of 91 years old. If that, if you can fucking believe it, Yoel Romero at 205. By the way, I want to remind folks: not a 185, 205. Taking on Melvin Manhoof. Now, Yoel Romero got back in the win column uh, relatively recently. When was this? So that was against Alex Polizzi, who he just beat like a fucking drum. That was at Bellator 280 back in May of this year. I believe that was the one that was in Paris. He finally gets back in the win column. Melvin Manhoof, who, by the way, is 46 years of uh, age. I'm told that, by the way, he could be retiring after this one. It's not like a given, but there's a decent probability. He fought Corey Anderson back in 2020. He hasn't fought since then. There was a previously scheduled bout with the old Romero that kind of fell through. Um, frankly, I don't think Melvin Manhoff should be fighting. I'll just be candid about that. I don't know, you know how he got a license because he's had an absolute enormous amount of damage. Doesn't mean, by the way, that he's not dangerous. He is dangerous. He is still fast. He is still very heavy-handed. But it feels to me, BC, like this is a fight Yoel Romero should not lose. Fair or unfair? No, that's fair. Um, look, it, 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 let's be real what it is. It, it's an attraction fight. It's like they're really going to put a burger patty between two donuts, and you're like, man, every, you know, <laughs> why, why does every, why does something this wrong, you know, feel so, so right? You know what I mean, Luke? A second on the lips, a lifetime on the hips, you know? But we take that gamble or lifetime on the liver if you're talking about me. Um, I'm going to watch it. You know, half through my fingers, I expect a knockout win for one of them. It is more likely Romero could get it. Um, dude, Manhoff will still knock any human's lights out, though. Yes, Let's be that fair is, that's that. A, that's the truth. Now, like, no matter how old or damaged he is, he will still punch your fucking lights out if you're not careful. I mean, I thought it would. Remember they put the, these two in the cage and they had them face off to hype this and, you know, it fell apart one time. Then they were, I mean, it was that was a little bit much. But does Scott Coker know what he's doing from the standpoint of like, 
you'll watch it and the end of the day you'll probably talk about it on your show yeah luke we will we will um but Romero does certainly seem to have the much bigger stock. And you did mention against Easy Polizzi, he took care of things and it was a much better presentation of what he potentially has left compared to matching him with Phil Davis. Um, and also it's better when Romero knows how many rounds there are on a fight. But like, what is his upper bound limit here in the Bellator light heavyweight division? Is it only, I mean, Luke, he's, he's been 40 something forever and he's defied the odds, but he's a step down from where Yoel Romero was, you know, on the Paulo Costa fight and in the Chris Weidman fight, certainly, but like legitimately how far could he go right now? If he wanted to, if he put a couple wins. So here's the thing. I actually feel like, okay, so he got the win over Polizzi. He should get the win over Manhoof. Again, he looked I'll say this. I thought in the win over Polizzi, it, it, it was sort of a foregone conclusion that Yoel was going to win that. So that he won is hardly some kind of um, you know revelation. But the way he won it, where he was almost a little reserved by Yoel Romero's standards, I actually liked that. I liked that he was taking his time, that he didn't go fucking batshit or you know just try and use too much athleticism, even though at 40, age 45, he still got a lot of it. To go and, and just kind of, you know, bulldoze a guy. He kind of methodically worked his way through. So I actually think you can get, still at 45, a very good version of Yoel Romero. The problem is, for him anyway, it's good for the consumer, so to speak. Dude, Bellator's 205 division is good. It's fucking good. Like, Corey Anderson is in this. He's good. Nemkov is good. Phil Davis, who, by the way, already beat Yoel Romero, is in this division. He's good. There's a lot. Anthony Johnson's in this one, which we never got that one. So uh, to me, the question is... Not can Yoel Romero win a title at 205. I don't think he can beat Vadim Nemkov, and I don't think he can beat Corey Anderson. But, but, can he be in interesting, fun action fights if they can get Anthony Johnson back? Maybe Yoel Romero even goes to heavyweight a little bit and takes on someone kind of crazy there. Like, there's interesting ways you can matchmake Yoel oh, for to sure. have fun fights. But, like... Is he going to wear a belt in this division? I well, I don't think it's skeptical. about will he wear one more. It's about how many wins would kind of force Scott Coker's promoter hand into putting him into a title fight. Like, even if the level of competition is what it is, if he wins three, four in a row, Luke, 46 or 45 or not, suddenly you're going to go, well, that is a marketable fight, you know, whether it's Vadim Nemkov or Corey Anderson against him. Um, you know, it, 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 would you be mad? Would you be mad if he got a title shot off of this two-fight win streak? You'd be mad, Yes, right? that would be a fucking criminal. Okay, okay. Yeah. I just wanted to check my, my lanes there. I want to dead wrong myself in real time. I was singing the Cranberries Ode to Family, not Dreams. You were humming Dreams, but that yeah. just shows you they got a few bangers in there, Luke, okay? They certainly do have a few bangers in there. Uh, also on this card, Leah McCourt taking on Diana Silva. This is a women's 145-pound uh, uh, contest. But that doesn't really catch my interest. The one that does, Mads Burnell taking on Pedro Carvalho, though. That's a lot of fun. 145. Both guys couldn't quite advance at 145 in the tourney in the way that they wanted, but they've both shown some some good to even uh, very good ability. I would say more on the side of Mads Burnell. Mads Burnell having a fucking dogfight with Adam Boric. That one catches my interest. BC, are you interested in that one, or is there anything else on this card that stands out more to you? Oh, I'm very interested in that one. And Luke, you know, the loss... As you mentioned, for Burnell, he's still just 28, and he had a hell of a, you know, under-hyped-up win streak before that. So I do wonder, you know, he comes back and looks good against Carvalho, even with the depth in this division here. You know, there's still time for him to make a run here uh, at a Bellator world title, and he certainly showed you that he's game enough to do that. How much do you think Carvalho has left on the flip side, Luke? 
It's a good question. I'm not really sure. I mean, obviously he was way overmatched against Pitbull, and that wasn't really fair. I didn't think he was going to beat Daniel Weichel, and he did. Uh, he also lost to J.J. Wilson, but dude, J.J. Wilson's like a really good fighter out of New Zealand. So like, I, these are not like the end of the world. And in his last fight, it was via split over a dude's name I can't pronounce. So like, to me, this one situation, let me pull up the odds on this one in real time. What do the odds makers have? I'd be very curious to see this because I'm going to bet that Mads Burnell is a, is a moderate favorite. Oh, they got him as a huge favorite. <laughs> They've got him at a minus 450. That seems a little, that's a, that seems a lot to me, to be quite honest with you. I think this is actually a winnable contest for Carvalho. The problem is, dude, Mads Burnell, his striking is way improved, and his ground game is punishing, relentless, relentless. And in that level, Carvalho, I haven't seen anything from him that tells me, yet to this point, we'll see on set on Friday, I haven't seen anything to this point that tells me he can beat a guy of Mads Brunel's caliber on the ground. So it would be a question of like where this fight goes and, and and to what extent Carvalho can define those terms. Damn right. By the way, Yoel Romero, minus 750 over Melvin Manhoff. Um, is, there a, is there a get or get got by Manhoff that stands out to you the most? Like, what, do you, what would you think is his most viral highlight? Because he's got a lot of them. He's got some... He's oh, got, dude, his, I mean, he's landed it, some hammers... Oh. But yeah. look, he's also been laid out by, he's by some He's been laid of out a few best. times. Robbie Lawler laying him out was one of the worst ones. I remember when uh, some when uh, I was I was telling some friends when uh, he when Lawler went to Strike Force and he you know he fought um, he fought Manhoff and I remember a lot of my friends at the time being like, oh, we know who Robbie is, we don't know who Melvin is, and they were right in the end that you know Robbie was better because he laid him out. And I was like, dude, Melvin is fucking really good. If you watch that fight, obviously you know Robbie put him out. If you watched that fight before that, he was tearing Robbie to pieces. But the one that stands out the most, if you've not seen it, and I know at this point we're all seen so many brawls that you know you just can't imagine to be a better brawl. And maybe there are better brawls now, but for years, the brawl that stood the test of time was his fight against Cyborg Santos. Yes. If you've not seen that, it was, a, it was an old British promotion called Cage Rage. Uh, Anderson Silva fought in Cage Rage. Vitor Belfort fought in Cage Rage. Fucking Melvin Manhoff versus Cyborg Santos is one of the most batshit things you'll ever fucking see. If you've not, you must, must go check it out. Also, now, Luke, he's got great kickboxing ones too. Cyborg Santos is Evangelista, correct? Yeah, so here's the funny part about it. Well, hold uh, on. That, that fight that fight was in Rio, uh, Brazil, under the banner of Gringo Super Fight 10. Was it? I thought it was in Cage Rage. Was that no, wrong? No, it was for the Gringo Super Fight welterweight title, Luke. Are you Damn, sure? Damn, that's a great name for a fight promotion. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Oh, wait. Was that the was they, were they a rematch? Did they have one before that? Oh, you they know probably, what? I think you're right. I, I Well, I'm dead wrong in real time. Today's no, you're right. They, they fought in 2006 at Cage Rage 13 in London. Yeah, so I was right. Fuck you. That was the rematch. Well, Who cares no, about that? I'm, I, I'm, I'm saying we were both right in the end. Okay, Luke? That's what All I'm right. saying. All right, so the one I'm talking about was the one where he fought into round two in Cage Rage. That is just absolutely bonkers, bonkers, bonkers. Dude, that was in 2006. I remember when that fight happened in real time. That's how fucking old I am. So, um, but he's also got a ton of good wins, um, obviously in in kickboxing as well. He, he, dude, Melvin Manhoff has done very, very, very impressive things in combat sports. I just feel like he's taken a, a, a ton of abuse. And what about a like trilogy under the Eagle FC banner, Luke Cyborg versus uh, Manhoof? Be there. Yeah, look, but you didn't pop for gringo fight promotions or whatever the hell that thing was called, Luke? Dude, I, I've said this before. I can't stand that word, and I fucking hate it. 
Is it because, because the people, is it because the Colombians call you that, Luke, because they don't respect you? Yeah, well, the, here's the funny part about it. They'll deny it. They'll deny it, and they'll be like, oh, no, no, that word is neutral. No, the fuck it's not. Don't, <laughs> don't, let, don't let any person from Latin America ever tell you the word gringo is neutral. No, the fuck it is not. It is not neutral whatsoever. So that's the only part that I fucking hate. I can't stand how they pretend that it's neutral. It's not. Were you upset it's, at it's, the it's, naming it's, it's of slander. the... The comedy special, the Gringo Poppy, Luke. Were you upset at that? That he used the term? Yeah, because you hate that term. Nah, I mean, some people own it. Some people don't mind it as much as I do. I just can't. St- I, my, my only part is how disingenuous they are. Oh no, it's totally neutral. Stop lying. I know yeah. you're lying. I know how you use the word. It's not neutral at all. Okay, there you Thank go. Thank you, Lukito. Thank you. Yes. That's, uh, that's Georgie Carhanian on the undercard here, so probably be yeah, a banger. Also, also, here's the other part about this. Brett Johns is on this card way on the bottom of the prelims. Brett Johns had a, you know, I think he fought Sterling and Munoz and couldn't win in UFC. Got a couple more wins. Lost to Danny, or excuse me, uh, left. Lost to Danny Sabatello, but Danny Sabatello's real good. Had a win in his last Bellator fight. But he, it's I, I, this was a guy who was like doing some things in UFC. Was kind of a big signing for Bellator. A little surprised to see him on the prelim card. I got to be honest, because he's a good fighter, very good submission grappler. Sometimes these prelims get changed the last minute, and the really good fight on the early prelims does get bumped up. But well, you know, he still seems to have something left there, Luke. No question about it. Um, damn, I had something to tell you too. I got to start writing it down, Luke. I can't, you know, I just can't process anymore in real time. Man, it's almost like you got to do prep. No, this isn't prep related, Luke. This is, you know, gold. Gold appeared in my in my you know in my vast bank up here. And yeah, there we go. All right. All right. Let's <sighs> talk about topic number three here, if we can. We talk about Francis Nganu. Francis Nganu back in the news. He did an interesting interview with the folks I used to work for. Shouts to them, Sirius XM. I think he was with Jimmy Smith unlocking the cage. And he said a bunch of different things, but here's one thing I want to start with. There were two points he made that I want to uh, talk about. The first one was this. Jimmy asked him about his contract status. And what he said was, quote, my contract status right now is still the same. I haven't received any offer. It's the same. I hope in the next two to three months, we get to deal with that to solve that. First things first, BC, are you surprised at all the UFC hasn't tried to, he's still under contract, but to to re-sign him to a new deal so they can retain his services going forward? Yes, because there's been like a few major signs up to this point that have screamed that that was likely. Not only Dana, you know, going public a couple months ago and saying that he talked to Francis that time, ran into him at dinner. There, you know, Francis's team wasn't around, and you know, while he still criticized Francis's team, he basically said Francis is good. He's not the problem. And you know, then when you see Ngannou cage side, now granted it was in France, so he he would have a want to be there, but. That shows you that he's back and everything's good. Um, you hope everything's good because that stumbling block of allowing him to be able to do things on the side, like box Tyson Fury, you know, he he seemed to give one of those like, if I don't get that, I'm not signing. But the longer we wait, and I know we're waiting lo- largely because of his injury, but the longer we wait, it feels like he has less leverage, Luke, because nobody's really talking about a fight with him and Fury right now at all. And or really seems to care and want it unless it was like some Disney driven, you know, agenda where everyone had to get involved. But even then, you got to jump through some hoops there. Um, I don't think Dana's going to give on that, Luke. Why would they give on that right now? Right. You know, as much as I'm fighting for Ngannou in this battle to get what he deserves, that doesn't seem like a battle that should matter to them. They just let Nadia's walk. Right. Like, it's just kind of like. 
what are you going to do there? So as the fan in me, let's get this shit figured out. I mean, because if that's the, the deal breaker, then sit down and talk about it. And he's either signing or he's not. But there's a lot of other things, you know, whether John Jones is going to come back and fight Stipe for the interim title or any other switcheroo last minute or... I mean, look, would the UFC love and should they covet and love the idea of John Jones against Ngannou for the full championship? You're damn right they should. So let's piss or get off the pot on both sides, really. And let's get a resolution here because Cyril Gon's coming on, uh, as are a few others, and this heavyweight division is fun and ready here. But this is getting in the way. And, you know, while I think Francis deserves... By allowing one person to do something special, Luke, it's going to open up. It's going to open up a lot of problems for them. So they're going to have to stand firm on this, correct? Well, this is the weird part. We talked about this. Like, you know, if you don't fight Fury, who else could you fight? By the way, last night in attendance in the Contender Series, did you see who was there on the boxing side? No, Deontay Wilder. Oh, Deontay Wilder was at the Apex last night. So you wonder, like, could Ngannou get a fight against Deontay? Let me ask you, BC. How big would that be in boxing? Obviously, it would not be as big as Tyson Fury because Tyson Fury is just a much larger-than-life figure, and they have a little bit of, like, back and forth and whatnot. Could Wilder versus uh, Ngannou, could that sell 500,000 buys more? I think it could, yeah. I mean, look, there's a, there's a potential here where it doesn't cross over big because it doesn't have that attached star like a Tyson Fury, but I think the fans of both sports, and maybe I'm speaking out of my ass here, but I would think the fans of the both sports at the end of the day would tune in, would 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 buy it, would want to see this. So it maybe not have the the same crossover appeal that in theory you would do matching a former heavyweight boxing champion against the current UFC heavyweight champion. But that's one of those things given Wilder's still raw skill set in many ways outside of the toughness and the insane power. You, I don't know, like, if we have to do this bullshit, and what, well, the reason why I say bullshit is Francis Ngannou just won the title on bad knees in the worst, you know, leverage situation ever. Um, I want to see him fight Gone again and fight John Jones. I want to see him in his own sport do this. But if they had to do that, Luke, I think people would watch. Am I wrong? I think people would actually kind of care, too, because Wilder fights are always crazy. It's not like the Fury outboxing him from the outside easily. Like, this, you know... This would be a little wild for as long as it would last. Yeah, I mean, to me, it feels very different than Nate Diaz potentially fighting Jake Paul, and both of those guys are clearly setting that up. I mean, you can hear him talk about it now in public. Nate explicitly being like, yeah, that's something I could potentially do. And on the other side, Jake being like, definitely that's something I could potentially do. Jake has a narrower range of options. So Nate Diaz to him is very attractive as an option. Fury has a lot of money already, and is kind of, I'm not going to say close to the end of his career, but he keeps retiring, and you just don't know how much longer he's going to be doing this. Jake is still kind of, Jake needs Nate more than Fury needs Francis. That's sort of the point I'm trying to make here. And so for that reason, uh, Francis, like, it, it just feels like the, the uncertainty with what he could do outside of the octagon in terms of getting big opponents with big paychecks is markedly different than what he could do inside of the UFC yes. and so the thing I, the thing I come back to though is this BC I understand the UFC's hardball game here right where they're like yeah we'll just come to them when we're ready and you know we'll figure that out we're not going to rush this like we're not you're not priority in that way I get that still does the UFC really want the headlines and the reality of Francis leaving as heavyweight champion is that something that they want to do we want to let a guy go 
under these circumstances when he's achieved this status, I still feel like that does put pressure back on them. Okay, in theory, you're 100% right. But had this happened directly after him knocking out Stipe Miocic, where it looked like, oh, shit, like, this guy's put it back together in a insane way. This could be the new, he- you know, the new the new prototype of just extreme heavyweight. Like, this was crazy. Since then, Luke, he hasn't lost, but, you know, the age has added on, the knee injuries have added on. You could argue, even with heavyweights aging later than normal, that his overall long-term value has decreased, certainly since, you know, that jab of death that he finished uh, Stipe with. So I think he's lost some of that leverage, naturally. And also, it's not as if the UFC has nothing else in that heavyweight cupboard. And I think that's the key part. If they didn't, if this was like a normal heavyweight era, you might be like, well, dude, like Francis can, you know, he could be your Mike Tyson for a short season here. But they have the potential of John Jones coming in and winning the heavyweight championship. And, you know, getting past people of the talent if he gets there, of Stipe and Cyril Gaon to get there. And they've got attractions like Tuivasa now. So it's like, do I think Francis deserved the right to create freedom for himself? Yes, he took big chances. It paid off. There, There is money to be made, but I think your point is right. And the longer we wait, he has less leverage and maybe the appetite for it gets less and less. Like as much as I'd be fired up for that Wilder fight, like that's some weird theater that I just got excited for. Is that worth giving up the chance to fight John Jones for the championship and and you know all of that? Because uh, right. I don't I don't think there, there's a middle ground here. UFC cannot set this precedent, Luke. They can't do it. They can't. All right. The second quote that he had that I thought was interesting from the same interview with Jimmy Smith. Quote: This is from Francis. I'm sure over time, UFC fighters, we are losing a lot of power. The company is getting big, getting stronger, and we have no power. We have nobody there to advocate for us. Just in the room making decisions. Nobody cares for the fighters, even though there are about 700 fighters in the roster. Then I think uh, they should consider somebody to advocate for fighters. Because I don't believe they make all those decisions to harm fighters, correct. But sometimes they just don't understand the fighter's position. This is the point I try to make all the time. It's not that I think the UFC constantly operates in bad faith. What I do believe, and this is what I try to explain to people constantly is that if you're a fighter in the UFC, you can be as company guy as you want. Your interests do not naturally align with the promotion, and that's okay. They're not necessarily supposed to. What you want is to have enough power to make sure that your interests and their interests can largely be met with some kind of mutually beneficial situation, not one where the UFC has, or any promotion, has so much power that they dictate what happens, and then you just have to kind of like have Stockholm syndrome about it to like the way that it goes. Do you, do you share my sentiment? Do you share Francis's sentiment? Although I got to say it's a nice sentiment, but if there's no real plan to put it in place, is there? No, there isn't still, there's still a lack of organization. There's still like, if Francis goes his own way here and just says, I've earned the right to try it, right? Like carpe diem, let's just do it. That would be an advancement along with, you know, Nate walking away on his own terms, certainly in in the idea of more people taking stock of their age and their opportunity and how much they've been paid and the freedom they don't have. But is it a game changer right now? Not enough to to organize. And um, this comes this might come down to like money versus legacy, meaning Francis has some killer big name opportunities if he resigns with the UFC but if he is held up on that idea of 
whether I win or lose this battle with money and taking this chance, somebody's got to take this chance. Somebody's got to. If he wants to do that noble Robin Hood thing, Luke, it, it, long term, it's it's going to help the cause. It won't fix it, though. That, and that's the key thing he's got to look at right now. Because, you know, it's not like he's going to box Jake Paul either, Luke. You remember when Jake Paul sat down with us and he mentioned that um, this catchweight bout against Silva will be 187, and his answer was, uh, because he's trying to get himself down lowered to 175, and that's the weight class he sees himself boxing in, you know, for his greatest success. And that would make sense financially, given that if he's ever going to box in ATS or McGregor, those are basically lightweight and welterweights, you know, so he would have to meet them a little bit further down. But if Jake Paul was available as a heavyweight option for Ngannou, would this change this at all? Mm, how would it change it? Where he'd just be like, I got enough money making opportunities out here i'm gonna i'm gonna walk away from the ufc i mean here's the thing so uh, okay so uh our producer gaff is like maybe a fighter representative fighter at large within the ufc elected by the fighters to help decisions and voice their interests to the ufc dude unless they had the compelling power of law behind them they ain't gonna be able to do shit <laughs> yeah. they gonna be able to do shit like it would just be some kind of advisory like oh i advise you to act in X way or for Y benefit, but they don't really have any meaningful way of doing anything. That's why I keep saying, like, if you want change, you have to have the power of the law behind you. Otherwise, it is all fucking window dressing. It is utterly meaningless. I know that doesn't answer your question, but hey, yeah, if Jake, I want to react to it. The only reason I brought up that Jake Francis idea is because Jake was operating basically a cruiserweight, so he's not that far. I don't think it's a good idea for him to do that. But do you think that would be like a monster pay per view? I don't know. That's I don't know if I don't. That'd be weird. Yeah. Like that'd be like. I mean, no, he'd be too big. Because here's the thing: you did the Logan Paul Mayweather thing, which was super weird. But the way you could make it work was that one, it was an exhibition, and two, the guy who was much better was also much smaller. Here, the guy would be much better and much bigger. Like, yeah, I don't think that works unless he goes in there and just absolutely fucking starches Anderson Silva, which I don't see as likely. But one never knows. One never knows. Uh, all right, let's move on here, uh, BC. Topic number four. This one is kind of interesting. Paulo Costa has basically, how would you say this, BC? He has basically claimed that he's the guy that <laughs> uh, has taken the mojo and everything else from uh, Hamzat Chemaev. In fact, here was his quotes. I think he was on the MMA Hour when he said this. Uh, by the way, shirtless during this interview. Quote, I stole some of his hype. I stole his night's sleep. I stole his cap. I stole his main event fight. I stole everything. Chemayev, you need to do something, MFR. I stole everything that you had, everything you had. Your hat, I stole your night's sleep, blah, blah, blah. You're disturbed. So crazy. Oh, I cannot do this. I will die. So I think I need to fight that guy. BC, how much of what uh, Costa said is true? How much did he steal? From Chimaya, but more importantly, is this the setup to an inevitable Paulo Costa Hamzat Chimaya fight? This is really fun and juicy. And let's just first off say this: as far as gimmicks go, the one that Paulo Costa is now fully operating within, dude, I love it. Seeing him on Ariel Show in studio, shirtless as you mentioned, with the microphone taped right, you know, on his pack, and just acting like a suave motherfucker. Like, he has adopted the cool heel persona in pro wrestling to, like, a fine wine. Like, there's some cheesiness, 
but it's almost brilliant cheesiness. The secret juice is brilliant. He's hilarious. His memes are aggressive and out of control. But this is perfect angling for the for the biggest fight available for him that fits him so perfectly. It's not that necessarily at middleweight he would be some big favorite over Chemayev. No, but trying to bring Chemayev in when he's coming off the the controversy and the missed weight, and now he's got to go back up a division, knowing that if there's bad blood like this and you cook this together, you're going to get him aggressive and want him to fight you. For this version of Paulo Costa, those are the type of opponents he should want, you know, to, to, to play it up emotionally, make it a, a big, fun brawl, and, and open up opportunities to finish it. Um, This is this is, almost would have, like, a grudge match super fight feel. Maybe not super fight, not, like, you know, huge home run pay-per-view main event success, but there'd be, like... A viral energy behind this fight and even though i felt like chemayev already could have fought for the welterweight title before what happened in this weight debacle and still feel like with the win they could just say f punishment and put him right back in there against the winner of usman and edwards and it, it it'd still not be in a, the most egregious thing they've done in a while right but if you're not going to do that and you're going to either force him to middleweight or at least make him earn back the opportunity to fight for the welterweight title by proving he can make weight, which means go on a detour. This is one hell of a detour, Luke. This is one hell of a detour. This would be one of those spicy fights that is going to guarantee action, and whether it gets cringe or not, enjoy, buckle up. This ride's going to get weird. Now, I can't wait. Luke, I, I need this. And that's not why. I think I need this. You don't. I know you don't feel the way I do. I know you don't. I don't exactly in the same way, only because I'm a little bit worried about the consequences, which is he's this, I mean, I, I, you know, everyone wants to be like, what if he could do the champ champ stuff? Dude, nobody except a man that can do the champ champ stuff because you can't stay active enough and healthy enough. It's not possible. And they didn't give Plus, people a chance to do it. Kind of ruined the model, and then they didn't give DC the chance. Like, they started stripping people, you know? Yeah, and then the other part is, too, is like, we don't even know if he can reliably make welterweight, you know, uh, already. So... There's a lot of questions about Chemayev's future. Folks were asking me, like, where I, you know, before this whole thing happened, I would say, you know, giving Chemayev someone inside that top 11 to 15 space. Jumping right to Costa, I mean, here's the thing. If he goes in there and dummies Costa, which he might not do, but let's say that he does, you know, now he's on a title track at 185, and I think his career gets a little bit confusing at that point about what weight you're going to be and what your next reasonable fight is. Because I would love to see if he, now again, if he can't make Walter weight, then this changes the conversation completely. But if he can still make welterweight, I would like to see that process played all the way out. Um, I know he has to take probably, or I, I, I don't know. It is a strong likelihood that he'll likely have to take a 185 fight next by virtue of how badly he missed at 170 this last time. And again, if he can't make 170 anymore, then I say all systems go. But if we're just trying to get a sense of like how he would actually do at 185, you know, jumping right to Paulo Costa. I mean, what's his other best middleweight win? It's someone who's not even close to, like, not even close to ranked. Um, well, I'm not trying to advocate that this is a smart move for him. I'm just trying to set the foundation that it's likely he'll have to pay some penance for what he did, right? It's like, and it's like, what did he do? Well, if he had a legitimate medical issue and a doctor that was quick to say no cut, uh, th it, he's not as bad of a villain as he may look if it was, if it was that situation, right? But even with that said... If he's going to have to pay a penalty to them and do a fight he doesn't want, like obviously Colby could kind of answer all these questions, right? It's in the same division. Give him a chance to make the weight once again. If he goes in there and beats Colby in this suddenly must-seat number one contender fight, then yeah, go go forward to the welterweight title. If I was his advisor, I'd advise him 
to kiss up to the company and do whatever it takes to get as close back to that welterweight title picture as, as you can. Because for as long as you're going to be able to physically make it, and there's probably something you did wrong or that something that went wrong in that training camp and that cut that, that you know, that stared him off road. But I think you want to go in that direction. But if they would make him or at least put pressure on him to do something like this against Costa, just knowing the ratings and action potential, God, that's a sexy Molotov cocktail they could cook up right there, Luke. And you'd have to put away aside your better judgments and just say, I may get a little on me. It may be like front row at a Gallagher concert, but let's go. Let's, let, 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 let's get ready for some crushed watermelon here, Luke. Like, let's let's do this shit. Let's let's get a front row seat to the sex. This show, this, this is what it is, Luke, okay? This is Who what wins? it is. I mean, could that main event a pay-per-view? Yeah, it probably could, Luke. It probably could, right? Who wins? Who wins? I don't know. I, okay, who wins? Chemayev, I would lean toward because I think, and I keep spouting this, but I believe it. I think Costa post Winegate is just going to be a wild man. That's going to be his fighting style. And he kind of always was, but it was a little more refinement, and we can argue that on a different day. Chemayev should win, I think, but it's going to be really hard, and it's going to be really fun to watch, Luke. You'd have to agree with that. Yeah, I I, just, I don't know who would win to answer the question, but like, let's imagine a world where he tries to fight Costa, wins the first round, loses the subsequent two, and now what do you do with Shemaev at one eighty five? Like, you just rushed him all the way to the front of the line, yes. it blew up in your face, and now where are you? Like, I, to me, it's like, again, if he can't even make one seventy, well then fuck it, like it's one eighty five, and that's just what the end of the story is. But if he can still make one seventy, I really believe that these detours as Gallagher watermelon friendly as they might be should be put to the side until we can figure out exactly how much, like how, what is the actual forward path for Chemayev? Is it at 170? Is it at 185? Pick one and let's see it played out. That's I, I think, think the company meant. should try to get him to 170. I think they should, you know, square that up because then you have potential to build up a two division champ potential. Look, he's going to have to have a, he's going to have to prove a lot to us in middleweight, but you're right in saying, Let's figure it out. Let's get there. Luke, do you? I, I'm trying to look up if Gallagher's still alive. I know his brother stole his gimmick for a while. I'm sure he's an old piece of shit now. Do you? Would you feel it ironic? Don't you think if he vaped watermelon in his old age? Is that too? It's too cute. It's too perfect, right? Who? Gallagher. I, I don't care if he's alive or dead. Yeah, but what if he was a watermelon vape fan like yourself, Luke? That'd be incredible, right? That'd be like finding out Lincoln's secretary was named Kennedy, right? Sure. All right. <laughs> great. I'll see you at whose line is it anyway, Luke? Well, later on when we work on our improv skills. That's great. First rule right. of improv. Yeah. BC, BC just wants you to like, you're the volleyball where the person like tees up so then he could fucking slam. He just wants <laughs> you to do that with all of his fucking jokes, even if you hate him. I don't know what to do with you. All right. Yeah, that's great. Let's go to topic five. Quick hitters. BC, this must... Pull at your heartstrings. I mean, it must just make you so happy. Nate Diaz potentially looking to dabble in WWE. Oh, fucking Lord, kill me now. Yeah, quote, I don't... I, yeah. All right, from yeah. Henry Cejudo, quote, We just saw Nate Diaz. I saw him in the restroom. He was high as a kite, and so was I. And we looked at each other. He's hilarious. Anyway, he's looking to dabble in WWE to make money. We got to use the brand that the UFC has given us and all these other platforms and continue to make money as an entrepreneur. There he is with a gentleman known as Triple H. Is that Stephanie McMahon with him? That is. That's his wife, yes. And who is the donk all the way to the left? I don't have that in front of me. It looks like a young Brett Okamoto, possibly. 
Or maybe uh, does Okamoto wear chains and his hat backwards? I mean, Mike. No, I know. said a young version of him before he got it all like tight shirt and you know there we go. And then Joanna was saying stuff and you know here we are. You know dude, what I mean, again, right? Dude, you want to bang Brett Okamoto so it's bad? True. It's, it's not true. It's not true. He's a great man. He's a great man though. Um, Luke. So I, I'm not watching the product anymore, as we know. I don't believe but, that. But post Vince McMahon exit, apparently Triple H, who now has hold of creative, is making an immediate impact in taking away the ridiculousness and making it good again. I haven't tuned in. It's still a hard sell for me. I don't want to see Nate Diaz in a match, but I do feel he could effortlessly pull off a fun build to like a big angle in which, you know, he interferes from the crowd or is, you know what I mean? Like, I think, like, look, it takes a special type of variety, like, versatility on the microphone to walk into WWE and like be a good promo right away and have the time, you know, the acting chops in the moment and delivery. I actually think he could do that effort effortlessly, which sounds crazy because him and his brother are considered, you know, bad interviews now. So bad. It's good, but you know, bad traditional interviews, but I think he could do this Luke, if he wanted to not for like a real thing, just for a fun off. You don't care either way. All right, let's keep the show going. We had a good, yeah, we had a, yeah. Great. Uh, I can't hear you. Can you put the fucking mic on the camera on him? I can't hear him. God damn it. All right. Well, you know. Sorry. Hang on, dude. This is just technical difficulties. What yes. can I do? Yeah. It's the history of our show. There we go. Now I'm back. I'm back. All right. Back. All right. Sorry. Uh, I didn't hear a word you said, but yeah, I don't, care don't worry about it. About it. Keep, just keep the show going, Luke. Okay? I just don't care about Nate Diaz going to WWE whatsoever. All right. Uh, how about this? We have some sound, apparently. According to Freddie Roach. Mike Tyson watched Jake, Pars, uh, Jake Paul spar, I think this was at wild card, for 30 seconds and then walked out of the room. If we have sound, let's play it so we can react to it. Jake Paul and <laughs> yeah, you know, Austin yeah, McGrew. Yeah. Well, he's fighting Anderson Silva. Silva's well, been in your gym before, right? Yeah. in the wild card. Well, Paul has too. Right. He came there with Tyson and Tyson looked at him and left. <laughs> Mike Tyson? Yes, Mike Tyson. So Mike watched Jake spar? Or what do you, he watched him in the midst? He watched 30 seconds of him spar. And he said, Freddie, can we go downstairs and look at the pictures? What'd he say? Can we go downstairs and look at the pictures? And look at the pictures. Because that's where the real, my, 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 that's my gym. And he, BC, how reliable is uh, a guy like uh, Freddie Roach in this sense? Like, how how believable yeah. is all of this? Okay, Freddie's reliable to a degree. Like, there's some hyperbole that surrounds the way Freddie talks, but he's pretty reliable. I think that the context is what we don't know. Like, right now, you do see Jake and Mike Tyson kind of going back and forth to a certain degree through the media, but we don't know if this happened, like, six years ago, right? You know what I mean? Where, where Mike walked in and, you know... Maybe, maybe, maybe uh, Freddie said, hey, look, there's a YouTuber in the ring and he probably laughed at it and walked downstairs. Maybe. I don't know. I don't feel like this was last week, but we can't deny, though, the Jake Mike Tyson, like marketing and, and promotional potential here. Like, I don't want that, Luke, but I also don't know what that fight looks like. So I think this is just people kind of stirring up, hoping they get that. Do you feel like that fight is in any way realistic? No, mm -mm. Okay. no, nor would I have much interest. Um, the Silva one I have interest in. Well, I'll tell you this much. How about this? If Jake goes in there and surprises me and just lays it on Anderson Silva and beats his ass, which again, I don't think is likely, but let's just say combat sports is crazy. We've seen crazy things, but if he does that, then my attitude would change. 
this is why to me it's like the Tyron Woodley fights, I don't know how much they really told us about Jake. That, but that one uh, overhand right was phenomenal against Tyron when he put him out in the second fight. That was great. Again, I've got a tape study on him. I'm going to redo it for the Anderson Silva fight, so you'll see some stuff on that. Um, I expect improvements from that. But he would have, like, the Anderson Silva fight to me is the first time he's going to get, like, a reasonably good test, a reasonably good test for his abilities. So if he goes in there and shines, not just beats Silva, but shines, yes, I think then that would change the equation, as old as Mike is. Uh, but if he goes in there and just, you know, loses or gets knocked out or, you know, it's not that great, I don't know what the point would be of a Mike Tyson fight other than just to, you know. That does have stupid potential. Maybe not, you know, Maymac potential, no. But it, like... He's got to... Don't you agree he's got to like, prove a million and a half against... But Dude. don't you agree? Hold on. He's got to prove something against Silva yes. to get... Not just bigger names, but to get like... And of course, credibility, but to get people to believe these are things that they should take seriously. Taking on Anderson Silva is, a, is, is no bullshit. How about this idea? It's a stupid idea, but who would you favor in a Jake Paul Vitor Belfort boxing match? No drug testing involved. Probably Vitor. Like if I'm Jake, I, I wouldn't mess with that, right? Uh, yeah, you know, probably Vitor. Probably Vitor. Yeah. Um, all right. So there's that. Freddie Roach says Jake or uh, Mike Tyson didn't care. All right. Uh, match that got made. UFC 282 BC. Chris Dawkins taking on Jairzinho Rosenstruck. This will be, of course, UFC 282 December 10th at the T-Mobile Arena. It joins uh, Drigas Duplessis versus Darren Till, TJ Brown, Eric Silva. Uh, Billy, oh, Billy Q, shouts to Billy Q, taking on yeah. Alexander Hernandez, Edmund Shabazian, Dalka Lungiambula, and then Robbie Lawler, Santiago Ponzinibbio. I don't know what the headlining con uh, contest of that event will be just yet, but... You like this fight or not? Heavyweight contest. I do. Uh, by the way, Bill, I think Billy Q done slipped one by the uh, goalie there, Luke. I th you know, congratulations to the Q family on the further oh, development. Oh, nice. Congratulations, yes. But, um, yeah, dude, this is a you-got-some-explaining-to-do type of fight, you know? Like, almost, you know, I mean, like, the winner's going to make an advance up, the loser's going to get sent down to that secondary EPL league, Luke. And that's the way it is, okay? It's going to see action, too. But, Luke, don't forget something here. Rosenstruck from Suriname. Melvin Manhoff from Suriname. And did you know former UFC champion Jermaine Durandamy's father is Suriname's? A lot's well. The Sur Suriname was, I think, formerly a Dutch colony. So you have a lot of them who are mixed. Like if you hear Melvin Manhoff speak English, he's got a Dutch accent. To be clear, right. So put some Surinamese respect on GDR's name. That was the point of this exercise, Luke. Okay. All right. Glad you're here. Uh, Michael Chandler explains why Poirier has taken the fight personally against him. He began with scum shows from the MMA Hour. Quote, um, here's what he says. I've made fights personal in the past, and it's never worked out really that well. But truthfully, I think those moments or scenarios warranted somewhat of a personal beef. I really honestly have nothing against Dustin. What I think it's the case is, I think it's personal for him, of course, what he's saying is, because of me, not towards me, if that makes sense. I think Dustin's been the guy for a very, very long time. And I was the guy who came in, and I've done what I've done. I don't think it's necessarily directed towards me personally, just this figure of this guy who is stepping inside the cage. So what he's saying is this guy who's like, you know, a little bit of a little bit of that Nate Diaz post Michael Johnson, you're taking everything I worked for, MFR. Do you think he's right that what makes Dustin so angry, who by the way is not a guy who gets like super amped up, you know, yeah. in these like beef scenarios. I mean, yes, with Connor, but a lot of that was like on fight week itself. What do you make of Michael Chandler's statements? I mean, he's probably right to a certain degree. 
it doesn't, you know, it's not juicy for me. Look, this fight's going to be freaking awesome. And yeah, I do is. think there's been a natural dislike between the two. And maybe there, like, you have to wonder, Chandler has been insanely opportunistic. And by the way, he has performed in wins or losses admirably. And he was that close to stopping the current champion. So, like, there's respect on his name. But, look, he's looked at almost shamelessly at this point as a company man. Do you think Poirier overall feels to a certain degree that even though he got to the McGregor level and did two mess, you know, monster pay-per-views that maybe he's owed more or maybe he's, you know what I mean? Like, do you feel that way? Like there's a chip on his shoulder still regarding that? Poirier? Yeah. Or do you feel like he's been paid? No. He, he feels like he's been paid in full. To borrow his catchphrase. Um, I certainly feel like the McGregor fights were financially rewarding for him in a way that like definitely checked something off the box of his career that he wanted, you know, like, Hey, I want to make a certain amount of money or I want to make big checks or be in big fights or whatever, like whatever financial reward that did that set up his family. I think it definitely gave him that. So there's that there might be a little bit of something to the Chandler thing, like coming in, like you think you're hot shit. I've been the guy, a little bit of territorialism, but like, here's the point about Poirier. He's going to fight balls out either way. Yeah. He's gonna, <laughs> and Chandler gonna is too, right? Like these two dudes have been around the block They're, I mean, you know, a lot of it is they're very different fighters, but in terms of like how they see themselves, it's a lot of like seeing the other, it's a little bit of the Spider-Man meme. Like, Hey, you're a fucking legend who gives balls out fights. Hey, you're a legend who gives balls out fights. And then they kind of just meeting in the middle here. Um, but it is weird for Poirier, a little bit weird for him to be so, you know, agitated in the way that he has been given that Chandler, like, you know, McGregor says like foul shit about people. Chandler really doesn't. You know, so there's a little bit of an extra uh, thing here going on, the origins of which I'm not quite sure about. All right. Uh, Corey Sandhagen. Well, again, we're just doing the MMA Hour recap here. Corey Sandhagen was on the MMA Hour, but he had an interesting um, argument about Henry Cejudo. He was asked, like, do you think that guy will get a title shot? And he says, what is he doing? I don't know what the hell that guy is doing. He's going to be a curveball forever if it's his decision. He's been off for so long why would the UFC do that? Why would they invest in someone who is just going to probably peace out after he maybe wins the title again? I don't really see Henry as someone you can build off of because I don't think he's going to stick around for long. I think he's going to try and cherry pick some fights, make another title fight, whether to make money or legacy, whatever his motivator is, I can't say. But I really don't think he's going to go and do, do it because he uh, wants to stick around. He's going to do it because, well, where, I don't know. I just don't get it. I don't see him sticking around. BC, A, is the UFC going to give Henry Cejudo a title shot? And B, do you understand Sanhagen's sentiment? Is he right? Uh, for B, I'd say I definitely understand. And I think this is the right defense for a fighter right now who feels like he's starting to put things back together, wants to get right back in the dance against the very big ones. And uh, that's sort of what you should say. You shouldn't want Cejudo to parachute in. But if the question is, should or will the UFC do just that, I think it comes down to whether or not they need to. They don't necessarily need... Henry Cejudo's star power at the moment. Adding it just makes this really historically deep Bantamweight division at this moment even sicker. Like, just crazy. But, you know, I think Henry's leverage would have went up if they, you know, had a long-reigning champion and just had no one to match him with. It's not that case at all. So I think there's going to be a play-in bout for sure against a big name. They're going to make Henry earn it. They didn't like the way Henry walked away to begin with. And not that I assume that things that they're at bad or at odds right now. I don't think at all. But I think, you know, that was a... He did his own thing on his own terms, and I don't think they loved it in that moment. Look for him, Luke, and I think you'd agree with this, to have to beat 
the highest profile, most dangerous name at the moment when he does come back, who's already not in a scheduled Bantamweight title fight to get his chance to fight for the belt again. It comes down to like a supply and demand to me. I think that they might give Cejudo a title shot again. I don't think immediately. I think he'd probably, to your point, have to earn it against somebody kind of interesting, somebody good, maybe against Sandhagen himself. And then they might, because the problem is like, dude, at this point, Cejudo's got a bit of a name. You know, obviously he has incredible history, given that he has the two weight classes with belts and he was the Olympic champion. Like, I understand Sanhagen's point that they might be hesitant, but especially after like, you know, St. Pierre beating Bisping and then piecing out again. But I feel like if they feel like they could make more money doing it or they could get a bigger fight out of it, especially if the calendar needs one, yeah, they'll do it. They absolutely will do it. I would I would I would I would caution Sanhagen here to not underestimate what Henry Cejudo is capable of getting from the UFC. The history sure. of me watching Henry Cejudo has typically been me underestimating him and then finding out at each turn that he's much star- smarter than I assumed, you know, based on his some of his, you know, character that that he's broken out. Um, he seems to be taking a GSP-like slow road to make this comeback perfect. Like, he's not rushing into any opportunities. Yeah, he tried to throw his name in for Volkanovski, which would make a lot of sense in, you know, financial and historical terms, but... It seems like he's taking his time and, ma- and waiting for not only the right opening, but that he's physically and mentally there, Luke. He's, I mean, he's, and he's, look, he's, he's kind of, we don't have a union. We don't have, you know, there's only so much leverage a fighter can have. But what he just pulled off and executed, I don't think it's going to be easy for the next guy to try that. But it's, it's working, Luke. It seems to be working. I would agree with that. All right. Last but not least for quick hitters, BC, Chris Avila, the uh, understudy of Nate Diaz. One-time UFC fighter, I think he's down with Bellator, I'm not even sure anymore, uh, is going to be fighting a dude by the name of Dr. Mike on the Paul Silva prelim card. I'm told Dr. Mike has an enormous social media following. I don't know who he is. Who is he, BC? Uh, I think he's a young medical influencer who has 23 million combined followers. I've never seen a a second of his content, but you know, from my research for this card, Luke, I'm going to watch every second there is. Um, (laughs) I'm like, so is he like a younger Dr. Oz? And then I got dirty looks from people, but I'm going to find out. I'm going to, I'm going to get in on this. Apparently a lot of people know this guy. He's got a little bit of boxing experience, like in the and Eason Gibb realm, you know, the gas station realm. But uh, this is interesting. I mean, you know. The pre-diabetic gas station attendant realm? Yeah. Like, I mean, Avila, he's done this before. He's got hands. He's fought, you know, on these type of undercards before. So um, this is interesting. Luke, also, do you. Is interesting is a strong word. All right. But know? MVP promotions, which we, you know, we think of it as just like the, the uh, you know, the, the brains behind what, what Jake's doing. Well, they're not just signing Serrano. They signed a young boxer with potential named Ashton Sylvie, who's 7-0 with seven KOs. He's going to be featured on this pay-per-view card against a guy with 25 fights experience, Braulio Rodriguez, who, like, is actually, you know, a guy who's been around, um, who's 20-4 and four with 17 KOs. So somebody to watch for, Luke, as it seems. I don't know. It's like every time I feel like Jake might be. I, sometimes I feel like Jake's just going to decide that's it. Like, he hasn't reached his jackpot moment yet, both in terms of the most money he can make in a single fight and, like, damn, that's cool. Because I do think that's why he's chasing a Mike Tyson fight. Because to him, like his brother Boxing Floyd, it's like, my book I'm going to write one day is going to be epic about my life. You know, my life's a movie, Luke. Do it for the gram, right? All those hip, lame things that sound even lamer coming out of my mouth. Um, All right. Yeah. Uh, That's it for Quick Hitters, BC. Time for but it appears he's lingering in boxing was the point, Luke. It appears he's actually 
trying to stay around a while. That was that was the point. All right. All Whatever. right. Cool. Yeah. That's. I mean, just we should just end the show. I mean, this is just. <laughs> What a, uh, we're, we're done with the top the top five. Go ahead. All right. We uh, needed to waste time on this Wednesday, so nobody does it like your boy BC. Let's bother Luke with a category that I like to call fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. Phil McCracken. Yeah, there we go. Uh, Luke, I've got 10 questions for you. It's very simple. You're going to fill in the damn blank. The biggest selling MMA pay-per-view Nate Diaz could make outside of the UFC right now would be against blank. So, 155, 170. Um, biggest one he could make. Jake Paul, Logan Paul could make, could he make 170? He's too big, I think. Oh, them um, in a them in an MMA match you're talking about? Yeah, in an MMA fight, but that would they would they couldn't sanction that because it would be that too was much creative time. of you. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm thinking like could he, could they do an Anderson Silva MMA fight? Would he go up that high in weight oh, like his brother did? Right. Yeah. Uh, well, he'd have to go to 185. Um, so, something like that. Yeah, something like that. Um, you don't like MVP or Mike Perry and a bare knuckle? None of those, right? I mean, those would be more competitive, but I don't know that you're asking about the biggest. I was pay per view. Yeah. yeah. All right. So probably Anderson Silva is the answer. Probably. Uh, number two on fill in the blank is this, Luke. After Aspen Ladd missed weight yet again and was pulled from last Saturday's fight night bout, the next move for her and the UFC should be blank. Part ways. Part ways. Yeah. Uh, 145 is not a real thing they're doing. Uh, there are other there are other organizations that are more committed to 145. She clearly cannot make 135 reliably. She, uh, you know, the UFC doesn't look kindly on obviously missing weight this many times, nor should they. No promotion should. And I do think she's talented, but I really wonder about her development, whether it has gone the way it has supposed to. I think there's a lot of things she needs to figure out in her life, and the best place to do that is not under the gun of the UFC's auspices. It's somewhere else. When I say this, by the way, it sounds like, oh, let's, let's attack Aspen Ladd. It's not what it's about. But she's got issues to iron out. She should go iron them out. That and you know what? Cutting her would actually probably force her to do that. That might end up being the best thing that could happen to her career long term because, you know, they could just say, "Okay, we're going full time to one forty five now, and we're not messing around." But, I mean, do they believe that it's worth that risk? That there's that much potential payback? That there's a you know future champion here? There's way there's more way more questions than answers at this point. Yeah, you're right. You know, Luke, maybe that's what they do. Okay. Okay. Unless she makes her. Kayla de- Kayla's UFC debut in the first women's heavyweight fight of all time. You know, it's a great, <laughs> the great BC idea division. still floating around. The BC division. Uh, Luke, blank is the amount of points you would score against five foot nine and recently retired <laughs> 41-year-old WNBA star Sue Bird in a half-court pickup game up to 11. So does that mean each time you score a bucket, it's one point? Yes, or two points from behind the line. In, and for the sake of this question, it's not make it, take it. You would alternate possession. So how many points up to 11 could you score? Oh, I see. I mean, the thing is, could I guard her? You know, not without being Bill Lambeer. Let me, let's just be very clear. I would just be elbowing the fuck out of her. You know what I'm saying? I'd That's blow up assault, her eyes brother. And... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, boy. Um, probably like, you know. We had a shoot off. I think you were a little surprised about how well I did. Um, 
We talking we'll about see. wrestling Kane Velasquez here, Luke? Is that where we're going with this? Yeah, game? you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. Uh, you know, three or four points probably, maybe. Wow, three or four. It's interesting because, like, she'd be able to drive past you or just pull up Jay at will, right? Yes, 100%, yes. And given that she's a pro athlete and still, you know, very good, although she's retired, she'd probably be able to strip you a bunch of times, but it's like, what if you just went to straight old man back her the heck down style She's got to be way stronger than we realize. So if she could somehow deflect you out of that paint, like you'd have to back her in to get the drop step turnaround, right? You know, Gaff yeah, was saying I would, with, I would have to do the magic, you know, like uh, what, what, what was what was old Irving's like hoop fucking shot? You know what I'm talking about? Where he Dr. would post J? up? No, no, yeah, no, 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 no. Uh, Magic Johnson, where he would post up, post up. Oh, the baby skyhook. Yeah, yeah, the skyhook. I could probably get lucky with a couple of skyhooks just kind of keeping her off of me. But, like, okay. you know, once she got the ball, it's it's game. You know, it's Yeah, game. Gaff was saying if we went to, like, you know, losers out or winners out, whatever you call it, where you get the ball back every time, then. Uh, yeah, I'd be fucked. I uh, Maybe that, one, that would be. None. Yeah, but I wonder. I don't know. It's interesting. All right. This is the stuff I lay at, you know, in bed thinking about all night long. Luke, the female fighter currently under contract who has yet to win a UFC title but appears most likely to do so in the next 12 months is blank. I know that's a mouthful. Basically, I'm saying of active UFC female fighters who have yet to win a title, who over the next year has the best chance to actually do so in your eyes? Irene Aldana. Irene Aldana. Um, Now, you know, obviously Amanda Nunes proved me quite wrong in how well she did against um, Pena in her second fight. So she still is a force to be reckoned with, and I would probably still pick Amanda Nunes. But in the next 12 months, one never knows, man. That's a long time in MMA. doesn't seem like it. That's a long time. Aldana's got good boxing. She's much improved. She can take a punch. She's got plenty of weaknesses. Every fighter does. But if I'm just sort of pointing out, like, who could make a run here? You know, Mackenzie Dern, the lack of wrestling I don't buy is like a thing she could really, you know, get over. Aldana's Aldana's one to watch. That is a very good answer there, Luke, for sure. And, you know, you could have said uh, Mackenzie Dern, of course, um, but there seems a, a way more... Uh, oh, the the obvious answer here is Tyler Santos, Luke. That could be the real one, right? Or do you think it's... Or a- really, even Tatiana Suarez, you know, if she comes back. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, remember the name. Sometimes we forget. I want. I don't want to. I want to see her back there, Luke. But do you think Santos is a threat to beat Valentina a second time, or do you think Shevchenko makes one of those championship adjustments and just shuts that shit down? Uh, yeah, I don't think it goes as well the second time. Okay. Okay, here we go. Luke, the amount of consecutive defeats you'd be willing to suffer in the Carson Wentz era before petitioning Washington Commanders owner Daniel Snyder to sign Deshaun Watson is blank. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. I haven't watched a single fucking down not a play not a pass not a fucking touchdown not a inter- no, I've watched nothing from this team and again I don't I'm not gonna be that guy that goes and roots for them and hopes they fucking lose I'm not doing that I don't want I don't wish poorly on the players but I cannot support anything Daniel Snyder does I don't want to give any attention to him or anything he owns other than negative attention and so uh, I don't give a shit what happens to the commanders as long as Daniel Snyder is the owner. I don't give a fuck if they never win a game. 
Count me out. Count me you out. Say that now, he, but what gone. if we get to like seven straight losses right now? They're one and one right now. What if we get dude, to one and nine? You Luke? should fucking hear talk radio here in the city. People are like, dude, they could beat the Eagles. Hey, Commanders fans, look at me. Ready? Put the camera on me, Gaff. Put the camera on me. I want to explain to you how the. Let me tell you how the how the Eagles game is going to go. Ready? <laughs> the Commanders are going to get fucking boat raced. They're going to lose badly real badly it's going to go very poorly for them that's just the way that it goes all of you morons calling in on talk radio talking about how great the commanders actually are if they could just play like a team fuck your life you're an idiot that team sucks they cannot win the ownership is absolutely demented and you're a moron for giving your money to them fuck all of you how about that how about that wow Suddenly, Vox is like, how do we get all these old hits on these Luke Thomas's pissed YouTube clips? Because <laughs> I just, I can't, I, dude, I can't, I can't, I can't do it anymore. I can't bring myself to do it anymore. Like, I'm, what, now here's what I'm going to say. Once Daniel Snyder goes, whenever the hell that is, I'm all, I'm all in again, whether they win or lose. But as long as he's a part of it, count me out. You think Robert Kraft might go out of his way to sign Deshaun Watson, given their. I mean, that's a gross. I mean, one guy kind of committed crimes, you know. The other okay. One kind of okay, sorry, Luke. I, I, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, Luke, let's go to another blank. Hey, Shakur Stevenson is back this weekend against Robson Conceição in Stevenson's home of Newark. Isn't it Hobson Conceição? I think he goes by Robson. I, let's go. We'll get to the bottom of that this week. I don't want to. I don't want. It might be. It might very. I mean, we didn't think it could be Ronaldo or the King of Hio, Luke, and guess who was surprised, right? Can you get to this motherfucker? Can we get through this show, please? I mean, this is taking blank. Because bl- oh, it's, it's at this point, Luke, just live it, right? Just live it. Uh, blank is the boxer with the best chance between one twenty six and one thirty five to currently defeat Shakur Stevenson. Loma. Ooh. Loma. Loma. I don't see who can deal with his precision and make him as uncomfortable as you would need to make him. Because, dude, if he's in, if he is in cruise control where he's really able to sharpshoot, find the distance, find the timing, and sort of set the terms. You can't beat him. He doesn't have big power, but he's just you can't do anything to him. Loma, it seems to me, would be the guy to be able to create angles, hesitation, misses, the kinds of things that Shakur Stevenson's not used to having to deal with. Loma's the guy. Yeah, as long as Loma can return to where he was and, and he still had it in that comeback knockout win that he had for sure, but I know a lot has changed with the conflict and all that, but um, I would go with Devin Haney as the only, as like the next Ooh. best answer for that because Ooh. you wonder if he could neutralize with his time because he has that full package of pure boxing mastery, and even though he doesn't overly excite you with the footwork and the setup of the jab, like if he could time Shakur, you wonder if that could be an interesting fight there. Obviously, when you got the power of Gervonta, anything can happen, but... Shakur's coming on. He's coming the hell on, so get ready. We'll see him again Saturday. Uh, Luke, if Jermaine Durandamy, speaking of GDR, who announced Tuesday at age 38 that she and her girlfriend are pregnant with a baby that Jermaine is carrying, if she never fights again, blank best describes her legacy. Um, hey, listen, man. She had a phenomenal Muay Thai career. Uh beyond phenomenal Muay Thai career, and she had a very good MMA career. Everyone goes back to the Holly Holm fight, which was a dud, and then she wins, and she's like, I'm not going to fight Cyborg, even though, like, why the fuck did you take this fight if you knew you weren't going to fight Cyborg, and then it ruined everything. 
she gave Amanda a hell of a fight in their rematch, even though after she lost yeah. the first time. I would say um, decorated. Decorated largely describes her legacy. Not in totality. There are some, you know, bad spots. But in general, she had a pretty decorated fucking career, man. Yeah, and she had the ability to take a lot of time off because she was a police officer as well, yep. full-time, where Holland, she would come yeah. back once a year and be at the same exact level. So uh, very good fighter. Let's see what her future brings. Um, I have felt like we should have gotten her lately more active and in more important 135 fights because she seems to be the, the name that would make the only re- important remaining ones left, but happy for her and, and her uh, growing family here. Luke, the best UFC fight you could make involving fighters at least two divisions apart in size would be blank. Hmm. I mean, this is the, this is the real stuff right here, Luke, okay? Oh. Um, okay, so you would say it's not two, but you could kind of fudge it if you wanted to say Cejudo was a flyweight. Yes. Cejudo Volkanovsky. That could that could answer that question. Yeah, that's not sort that's of, not bad. Right? Or one thirty five, one fifty five, something Usman like that. Usman Prohatska, maybe. That's another one. How about Connor versus Chimaya? <laughs> <laughs> We're probably not that far away from that in reality, Luke. Let's be really fair. Connor might get to a point like an aging wrestler does, where they're like, "Who's left out there that could m- help me make some real money again?" You know, like Hulk Hogan's always like always watching closely, right? Who may be able to do that? Uh, that guy will. So. Uh, Connor, look, I don't know, like, I don't know how badly it's going to go for Connor down the stretch. Will, will he just keep selling this soul until UFC stops him? I don't know. It's going to be could get weird. Could get really weird. Probably. Yeah. Uh, Luke Blank is the most famous person whose phone number you currently have in your cell contacts. Ooh. Um. I got Nate Diaz's phone number. Oh shit! I I'd love to see Tuki like butt dial that Luke, and suddenly you know. Yeah. Um, I've had conversations over text with Tony Khan. Oh shit! Um, talking wrestling, sh- talking AEW with. No, uh, there was a while where he was trying to do something in MMA, but not promotions or anything else, something behind the scenes. But um, uh, and I don't think it ever got off the ground. But um, I'm trying to think. Like Nate's pretty fucking famous, uh, probably Nate. But I've got like every. Exception with the exception of Connor, I've got almost every fighter's phone number. I mean, I got a lot of them. So you ever uh, send nudes just just to see what happens, Luke? Jeremy, just to float it out there, right? No, I I haven't done that. I've told the story about when I accidentally texted Nate Diaz. Yes, before, right? fantastic on air story. I love that one. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, that's I got that's, one. The only, that's the only like weird interaction I've had over text. Okay, well, speaking of weird interactions, we got one more hole to fill here, Luke. The best word to describe how your anus feels. Some 24 hours after your first colonoscopy is blank. Well, uh, the answer is basically fine because I don't feel it. There was no problem there. The one thing that is the problem was the delivery system. How you get there. That's the problem, Luke, right? Well, no, no, no. Like I, there's no soreness. Like they don't, they just put a small camera up your rear end. I, I can't, I couldn't, there's no pain or any lingering issues with that. There's shame. That's not, huh? There's shame or no, no shame a little bit. Probably, you know, but I mean, like of all the people's rear ends they have to look at, is mine really the worst? I doubt that. I doubt possibility that. Possibility is. No, possibility. dude, they've got like, I saw some <laughs> no. of the people, I, dude, I saw some of the fucking Baltimore Ravens fans sauntering oh, into the office yeah. to get their butt checked. I am definitely not the worst. Purple Camo Nation probably has a lot worse than what I had to offer. What I will say is this. 
when you get a colonoscopy, I couldn't eat for basically like two days because you can't eat at all the day before your colonoscopy. And my colonoscopy wasn't until like one in the afternoon the day of, and I couldn't eat it. You can't, I had to stop eating anything, even water, drinking water, like, like five hours before that. So I had the last piece of like, uh, anything I had nourishment was at like six 30 in the morning yesterday. But here's what they do. They give you this giant four liter jug of this, basically a laxative. And you have to drink three liters the day before. And then one liter the next morning, my friend, my friend, I could not be more than 15 feet away from the commode before I was like worried about whether or not my dungarees were going to have a story to explain because they put that thing was like drinking feces rocket fuel in your butt. Yeah. So so that part was not so great. Got to tell you, that part's not so fun, but everything else was no big deal. I think I drank that same concoction the night before I had a drug test at the nursing home, Luke, when I worked in the kitchen. Oh, dude, your you your major in community college was in bedpan technology. I mean, yeah, really, yeah. worst life there's ever. No question. I will say this, dude. I'm gonna say it one more time, dude. If I if there's an anesthesiologist that can put me to sleep every night, please do yeah. that. <laughs> dude, death is probably a hell of a nap, Luke. But not yet, dude. Come on, not yet. Um, do you want to close with fan subs or f the fan? Yeah, we have. Yeah, we're good. Abuela is gonna pick up Tuki, so I'm good to go. Uh, yes, that was unbelievable. The the the, the loyalty shown, the love. Okay. Uh, we have a love for our fans, so we let you send us your artwork, and we'll put them on our fridge. It's morningcombat at gmail.com is the avenue to take. Let's see what you got here under the hood. It's called Fan Submissions. You've got mail. Fan subs. You've got mail. Viewers, again. Wow. Hey, Saul, remember I thought um, Little Anthony was Saul at our live show, Luke? That's a big regret. Yeah, I mean, you're just being a little racist. That's well, okay. in my defense, I yell out, hey, we're Saul, and Anthony, like, waves his hand. So it's really his fault, okay? You were like, yeah, you're vaguely Latin. Uh, yeah. you. <laughs> wow. Saul says, my cousin and the wife, uh, my, my cousin got me and the wife free tickets to Bourbon and Beyond. Bourbon and Beyond, is that something, Luke, from a client? These are the Doobie Brothers. I don't know if you, if you heard of them, but people seem to love them. MK all day. Nearly every day. Yeah, I've heard of the Doobie Brothers before. Thank you, Saul. Um, but looking good in that in that that tie-dye, right, Luke? First of all, he looks great in the tie-dye, but I gotta say, could you tie your shoes worse? I mean, Go I back. can't I can't vouch, Saul, that this version of the Doobie Brothers that's being rolled out isn't a debacle. I mean, it could just be a you know, a, a yeah. I mean, you're not getting Michael McDonald, that's for sure, Luke, okay? Skunk Baxter or anybody, but uh dude, is you think Saul's been in the weight room with that mullet, Luke? Eh, maybe a little bit, but he's got the pink uh, fanny pack, which again, I'm not team fanny pack, but I am team. Yeah, I'm not I am team, team Mochilla. Do you know Mochilla? No, is so, that some kind of Colombian thing? Yeah, and so yeah, is, dudes yeah. in Colombia wear a thing called a Mochilla, which looks like a purse, but not exactly. It's a little bit different. It's, it's sort of like a bag they wear over one shoulder. But uh, that's what I call my, 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 do I have my man bag here? Yeah, I got one of them here. BC oh, hates they, this dude, thing. That's just, my, I got dude. my man bag. Look, I make I wear it over my shoulder. I mean, I make some I know I make some reckless and fashion decisions at times, Luke. Sometimes it's choreographed. Sometimes it's just the spirit of who I am. 
But you with that European leather man bag, Luke, that is, I mean, you're really testing my patience. It's just just regular old fabric. You're you're really testing my my friendship and patience with you, Luke. That's I'm not trying to. You you say it's like a fashion choice. I'm not making a fashion statement. I'm just not carrying a big ass (laughs) fucking wallet and keys and shit in my pocket. Dude, phones are the size of library books now. My wallet is like George Costanza. I need yeah. nasal spray because my face doesn't work normally. I got <laughs> shit I got to put in there. Yeah, but wouldn't you? I know you're like, it's you're making the decision in as stylish a way as you can to try to make yourself feel better, but you have crossed over, Luke. You have officially crossed the fuck over. We're going to find your body at the bottom of that pool and cocoon with those uh, aliens. You know what I mean? Only you'll no. be dead, Luke. I, I, I have fully embraced dad life. I don't give a shit what people think. That thing's handy. Fuck you. All right, thank you, Saul. I don't think Saul's been working out. I think he's just built that way, Luke. Okay, a diesel built man. Different. Yeah, uh, Adams from Toronto is here. He's a P1 donk, and he says, uh, "Hi, BCLT and RJD." He's talking about the Dunkel Maker. I just wanted to thank everyone for the bomber jacket, and that unlike the four of us, comes unwashed. Here I am on the set of The Boys season four, which I thought Luke would appreciate. If I showed anything other than this frame, I'd be fired. Which I'm. Which I'm sure is a position that BC has put you all in before, but I'm not ready to move to Connecticut and do Delta 8s in a bomber jacket while recording sound just yet. Either way, love the jacket, but not my morning jacket, and keep up the racket. Wow, he's a poet, Luke. Uh, It's Adam from... Duke, you've been telling me to watch the boys, so now you're telling me that one of our donks is, like, a key member. I mean, he could just be, like, the the gaff boy or the, like, the, uh, what's a, what's a... What's a term, production term, that, that isn't looked at favorably, Luke? Gringo? Uh, no. Malka cameraman? <laughs> but, Luke, uh, now hey, I have on, BC. to watch. BC, I got a question for you. I got a Gaffer. question for you. Thank you, Gaff. It's Gaffer. I got a question for you. Hold on. What the fuck did I do with my... Oh, here Best we go. Best boy. BC, How about that? Best boy. What impression am I doing? Show it. Who, who am I? Uh... I don't, I don't know, Luke. I'm show it again one more time. Show it again one more time. Here we go. Ready? I'm a Molka cameraman. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'd like, I'd like to have a vape stick a little bit more prevalent there. But, uh, so should I be watching the boys not to support one of our own? But am I missing out on key entertainment in my life, Luke? I, I think you'd like it. It's you know everyone's like, oh, but this superhero show is different. No, this one is actually different, and. Um, I'll say this. If you can't get through the first season, you'll already know it's not for you. I bet if you finish it. By the way, the guy who plays the lead, uh, well, sort of the lead actor, his name is, the character's name is Butcher. I think you would love him. I really, okay. really do. Give it a shot, dude. Give it a shot. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, Raquel is here. Wow. Raquel from Boise, Idaho. Hello, guys. I was very hot, proud to rep my MK gear in Salt Lake City for UFC 278. I got into some trouble, but there ain't nothing a donk can't handle. Much love. It's Raquel. Luke, she let Brandon Moreno put her in the uh, the old rear, the rear clothed. I got to say, here's a relatively, actually a very normal looking woman who is repping our gear. I am, uh, I'm kind of surprised. Yeah. I'm hum- unlike Nate Diaz, I am surprised. We've got female class action suits against, no, uh, <laughs> viewers. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> There it is. All right, let it out. There it is. Yep. Yep. That was Just... okay. That one got me. See? <laughs> you see, BC? You want me to like your bad jokes. I'm just waiting for the good ones. That was right. a good one. That All one right. got me. 
Raquel, thank you for repping us in public and uh, pulling it off well. Uh, let's go to Jay. Hey, we know a lot about this guy, JP, right? Mount Unike in the house. Um, Uniac, Nova Scotia. He says, this is a uh, super spicy special for Sanhagen versus Yadong. Ooh, ghost pepper. Yep. Wow, they put me in the middle with the Joe Rogan hat. You see that, Luke? Look at that. Yeah, mouth breathing like a fuck <laughs> face. Luke, I like Sanhagen here by finish. I'm feeling extra spicy. There's a clear spicy feeling here. Very ghost pepperish. That Apparently, I said that on the show. Uh, how do you like Yadong, Luke? Super spicy. Keep up the award-winning show. But he's got another one for us. This is called Quadruple Cross Promotion. Luke suggested that the PFL Smart Cage should appear on Jeopardy versus Dana White in a Q&A format. Let's take this to the next level. Imagine the first ever quadruple <laughs> cross promotion on pay-per-view. Contestants Luke Hold on. BC this and the is, Smart Cage. This is excellent. Blow this up again. Let's look, look at Dana being like, how did I get stuck with these morons? Fair question. Then there's me. I mean, could I be more fucking washed in that picture? Just looking Dude, like an asshole. You look so high in that picture. Wow. I just look like an absolute asshole. Zero points. That's also fair. BC looking like a absolute fucking asshole as well with a tie on negative 6,900 that that checks out. And then that fucking smart cage, bro, kicking our ass. Yo, yo, Jay Pocket is on fire right now. Dude, that's wow. a good one. That's a yo, yo gaff team. Send me that one. That one's really good. I want to share that one. Yeah. Oh, wow. All right. Let's go over to Jordan. He says, uh, I simply must hear Luke comment on this. Oh, this is the other part from JP. Sorry. Okay. Uh, Luke, here uh, are the categories. times, Jay Aaron, liver blood test results, <laughs> CKB phoner, one time for pre-show me. Oh, excuse me, on time for pre-show meetings, vape and BBLs. Yeah, give me vape and BBLs for my 1,000, Alex. Yeah, there it is. All right. Uh, let's go over to Jordan. Thank you, JP. He says, I simply must hear Luke comment on this. And he put an exclamation point. Wow. All right. Infinity War is the most ambitious crossover event in history. Oh, yeah. Dude, that one is... Uh, and if you watch the show, if you watch the movie, the, sh the song they're playing is like... It's like their epic kind of song. That, uh, it's the oh. one they closed their show with. It's called Hammer Smashed Face. You're talking about Ace Ventura, right? Ace Ventura, Jim Carrey, and then they, Cannibal Corpse was... the. I mean, that was, by the way, Cannibal Corpse with Chris Barnes. Their lead singer now, the guy with the thick neck, is Corpse Grinder. He took over uh, after that. Uh, mm. That's a fair point. I love this. I love this meme. It's a great one. All right, well done there, Jordan. Let's go to Adam C. He's got a couple memes for our fan subs after the Paul Silva pressure presser from uh, two Mondays ago. Let's check it out. Luke trying to decipher why the crew is laughing at BC when he claims he's not as funny as he thinks. Okay, well, this meme is stupid. <laughs> I think he nailed it. He's got one more for us. All right. Luke, when it's time to pronounce a Latin American fighter's name. All right. <laughs> Luke, when it's time to pronounce a... <laughs> <laughs> oh god that's so true that's funny because it's true that is okay that's a that, good one that's a that's a very good he redeemed got bill algio here or algio or who gives yeah, a fuck that's yeah. a very that's a very very good one that that one is fair people have been on me about that they're 100 right yeah um, but memes like that good. get you saying um Adesanya like a weirdo though so I don't know if I support this Luke okay uh, listen man uh, listen there are fucking names from every culture and every language I don't fucking speak the only yeah. ones the reason why the Latin ones I'm, I'm a little bit better at is because I'm actually trying there the other ones I just punt <laughs> I just punt on anyone else's name but you know yeah, it's a, that's a great a long that's a very funny one that's a uh, very funny Owen one. says hey guys I just finished watching your Silva Paul presser 
I have to give you guys credit for how you handle these events with such pace and enthusiasm, even though you've told us up front that this is a ridiculous carnival show. Did we really? Well, maybe. Uh, Beast of a work ethic, ethnic. BC only lost All right. his... I mean, what are we doing? I, I mean, didn't. come on now. BC only lost his composure for a bit when, out of the blue, Jake Paul's lady friend joined the broadcast. He tried to keep a straight face, but we all know what he was thinking. <laughs> Damn, could uh, she make straw weight? Uh, yeah. Be, uh, this is a true story. Can I blow your spot up on the air here real quick? Uh, it, doesn't matter which, this, yeah, it doesn't matter yeah. at this point. After this was over, I asked... We were talking, and I was talking... Because, dude, like, let me be clear about this. Like, We knew... Jake was going to come. We knew that Silva was going to sit next to us. Like that was planned. So we were expecting that. And then, by the way, the the problem bot tried to teabag me. I'm like, dude, get the fuck <laughs> off me. Number one, like get the fuck away from me. Just num- just first of all, that's the first thing I want to say. The second thing though was like, <laughs> fuck dude, she droids, just sat down. Right? Yeah. She just she just sat down. Like we didn't we didn't know she was going to sit down. She just of her own volition sat down. BC, after it was over, was like, dude, I was just going to ignore her. I'm like, wait, wait. You were just going to pretend she wasn't even sitting there. I didn't I know who I was, was in trouble because I didn't know her name. So I just had to fucking own it and be like, hey, I know who you are, but I don't know your name. And just roll. You tried to be like, I'm just going to pretend she's not there. Imaginary hey, friend. While you're trying to villainize me, where was Gaff during all this? He wasn't like, hey, guys, we got Julia Rose sitting down. No, I don't think he knew, to be fair. You know what he was? I guarantee you, I know what he was not doing whispering. That's what I know he was not doing. All right. Hey, well, Gaff, I mean, can look. you whisper? Yes, I can whisper. No, no, no. Can you whisper a little bit lower? <laughs> yes, I can whisper lower. <laughs> Gaff, can you whisper? That's a question I have. Uh, Luke, um, she only follows 272 people on Twitter. I just want to, you know. <laughs> Hey, man, if that uh, makes you happy, can't be that bad, Luke, right, Cheryl Crow? Owen would say, joking aside, BC, thanks for the bottomless well of knowledge and joy you bring to covering even ridiculous boxing. You've made me fall in love with that sport again. She's a slippery fish that'll break your heart and take your house, but you continually show me how beautiful she can be. Yeah, Luke, boxing's a, she's, a, <laughs> she's an interesting woman, Luke, okay? You know? That's a, that's, a, that's a delicate way of putting it. Yeah, thank you, Owen. Thank you. Um, how about Mark sliding in here? Shot the guys since shot the guys since day one in studio. Wanted to oh, share in the a, middle. That's Mark. Oh, sh- oh, dude, that's the guy with the cauliflower ear. Yeah, I love yeah, that guy. So this is one of the Malka guys who's also on his phone when they shoot us. But um, he's one of that's our best. David Branch, his uh, longtime uh, instructor. I don't know who the gentleman on the right there is, but so Mark he- says he became a brown belt under Sensei David Branch. And he still watches all the episodes. Just wanted to shout us out. MK all day, every day. I think Mark meant he watches, not David Branch, Luke. Yeah. Also, the thing about Mark is he just brings dogs to the office. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. just letting dogs roam like dogs it's the fucking free. streets of Latin America. Just, me. hey, fuck it, yeah. just go. Why don't we? Yeah, I'm with you. It was wild. Uh, let's go over to Alan. Congratulations, though, Mark, on your on your uh, victory, on your, you know, whatever Promotion. the hell you call it. Promotion. On your kicking shit. Yeah. All right. Let's go to Alan uh, W. Two photos here. Some some BC memes we got. All right. Straight off the street. Streets of motherfucking Easy B. Knowing, li- no, knowing nothing in life but to be unfit. <laughs> Don't quote me, boy, because I'm watching <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's, he nailed it. That is a bullseye from uh, Alan W. Dude, that is fucking good. Yeah, that, that is, is that good. Is, yeah, he hit it. He hit it hard. That is true. That hat looks amazing on me. Uh, let's go to Alan's second <laughs> meme. 
Uh, I don't know how to tell you this, but I'm kind of a big deal. Are those, what are those fuck? Uh, <laughs> Poonchkis, dude. Those are, po- <laughs> that's an Anchorman meme, right? Yeah, that's fantastic. Wow. Which, by the way, Anchorman, very unfunny, stupid movie. I can't well, believe people like that. Well, but, come on, okay. dude. For its time, it was something. Officially, so see, see that plaque Luke officially followed by Julia Rose. There that, you go, dude, right there. Uh, what are those things called? The, the Polish delights? Poonchkis. Poonchkis. They're incredible. Amazing, seriously. Puchki season is a is a delight. Dude, that um, is a fucking fun. Dude, this guy, dude, there's a good uh, fan subs this week. Holy shit! Yeah, this is from an MK couple here, Luke Courtney and Daniel. Last summer, my boyfriend Dan took me to Ludington, Michigan. Back when we first got our MK merch, this year he really spoiled me, taking me even further north to Mackinac Island. It's wow. a good thing we had our favorite hoodies with us because, as you can see, the ferry ride to the island wasn't exactly smooth sailing. And they were surprisingly few quality restaurants available in Mackinac, but we happened to come by BC Pizza. We were hoping to indulge in some gas station quality pizza. Unfortunately, they were closed. And, yeah, it looks uh, like they were shut down due to health violations. <laughs> that's fair. Uh, everyone worked barefoot. It was gross. Uh, Dan is a big soccer fan is in, and is excited for the World Cup. Luke, this is more of a question for you, but do you think the U.S. will make it out of the group stage if so, what is the upper bound limit for the United States men's national team? Wow, uh, Courtney's shooting her shot here at us. What? Go, she's going yeah, for it. I, I'm not watching the World Cup this go around because I just can't get over how they thousands of uh, migrant workers die trying to make those stadiums and everyone just pretends it didn't happen. So, don't know. Don't know. I, I mean, but you know, here's an easy bet. Like, can the U.S. team beat good European teams? Probably not. So, there you go. If we find out that you watched even a second of either the Washington Commanders or the World Cup this year, Luke, well, here's then, here's the thing: it's can easy we throw for you me, in? Hold on, court? I'll, I'll make a confession. It is easy for me to not watch the Commanders. Like my disdain is so strong that I I, I don't. It doesn't. It's not a challenge for me to skip it. The World Cup is going to be hard for me to skip. I'm going to try. I'm going to you know. Yeah, you won't I'm make sure, it one I'm day. sure highlights will come across my Twitter feed because I follow so many soccer people, but like, yeah. I'm not going to sit down and watch a fucking game. Also, Colombia's not in it, so my wife's not going to pressure me either. So, I used to go to the same barbershop as Craig Burley. You know him from soccer coverage, Luke? Yes. Isn't he on uh, ESPN FC? Yeah, he's he's really good. I like that guy. Real awesome dude, too. Lives he's near Scot- me. Is that the Scottish guy? Yeah, yeah. He lives yeah. in my town. Uh, yeah, he's a real nice dude. Uh, finally, Luke, Danger Mouse is always... Uh, is always here for us to close. He's like uh, the Sandman, not Sanhagen. Luke, I'm talking about Trevor uh, Hoffman, right? <laughs> Did I make that up? Uh, BC, you Dude, know they're, that... Th- they're so mad about this. They're so fucking mad. <laughs> you know that thing you do with Luke where you find something that annoys him and then you pick at it? Yeah, that's what this is. <laughs> Listen, you dum-dums can call it... It's here, here, if it makes the Brits feel better, here's another thing that I also ignore. Uh... In Virginia, there's a town called Norfolk, okay? Those dumbasses in Norfolk, Norfolk, Virginia, I swear to God, they pronounce it. If you watch the local news, and they'll correct you. It's, they'll go, it's Norfolk. I'm like, so it's not, actually? It's Norfolk, and that's what I'm going to say? And you fuck boys and fuck girls, can, uh, you can go uh, you know, pound sand, eat a bag of dicks, whatever makes your day. I'm not calling it Norfolk. It's Norfolk, and in the words of Gorilla Nems, fuck your life. Wow. Uh, there's a Norfolk, Connecticut a couple towns over from me, Luke. Real small town. They pronounce it Norfolk, but I, I tend to not. You know, That's, aggress- that's abrasive, Luke. 
I mean, I'm just saying, I'm not, I'm not calling it Norfolk. I don't give and, a fuck if you're from the Tidewater. Okay, okay, all right. Uh, then I, can I call it Barranquilla if I want, Luke? I mean, can I? All right. <laughs> I mean, you could. You could. Uh, Barracuda. Uh, Danger Mouse says, Barracuda. and just because I haven't yet forgiven him for his comments about our queen, here's another <laughs> Luke meme. <laughs> Wow, Luke, that's a that's a body shot right there. Wow. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. Actually, it was six years of service. Fuckhead, get it right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and finally, a true story. Danger Mouse says from Monday's show. Listen to Canelo Triple versus Triple G chat. Watch the Queen's funeral. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, there you go, right there. Oh, uh, Luke Canelo. Yeah. By the way, I forgot to mention. Uh, out until at least. May of next year with left wrist surgery. And uh, he told Dan Rayfield that it could be as late as September of next yeah. year that he could be back. So that changes things a lot, you know? It does. Yeah, that's interesting because remember, he usually fights on Mexican Independence Day and then Cinco de Mayo. Um, not really a whole lot in between. Yeah. Um, does he, I mean, does he keep those titles? Do they strip him? It's going to be interesting because if he wants to come back and not defend those and fight Bivol or better beaver whoever and not fight you know benavidez then could get dicey luke could get dicey, could get okay. dicey. uh all right well let's remind folks that's the show great job by the way if you want to send in memes or dead wrongs morning combat at gmail.com that is the place to do it we appreciate you guys that when you do by the way great job today round of applause yeah, that was fantastic. very very good very good good job uh also of course showtime is the label that pays bellator's on friday so showtime.com Get a 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can bounce. Again, Bellator will be on Friday, so be on the lookout for that. Uh, let's see. Uh, you saw it there, morningcombat.store, to get some merch. The bomber jackets, I can't say enough good things about them. They're there. They're fucking great. So take a look at those. And uh, BC, any final thoughts? Because we have another call we have to do. Uh, no, just um, thank you, uh, our listeners, whether you love us, hate us, only love one of us. Thanks for being here. Thanks for liking, subscribing. Thanks for voting on all those awards. Oh, and final shout out, Courtney. Yes. Good Our call. Courtney, uh, I think she's about nine, eight days away from the from her fight. Uh, a what three round exhibition that she's got planned. But the bigger story is the is the uh, the purpose, the raising money for cancer victims. And uh, if you feel so inclined, you can read Courtney's story below. But uh, we're getting closer, Luke. I mean, do, do should we do a like dissected or? Or like a MK breakdown, a preview, maybe interview both. You're, you're betting players. on her to win, right? I'm betting on her to win. Oh come on, I'll win? Yeah, you're not going. Yeah, because I'm saying we could interview the trainers, you know, the, the the fighters. I mean, this we could we could build this up, Luke. Uh, all access behind the scenes. No, probably not. By the way, okay. I, I, I kind of want to tell them about the next doc, but I'll keep that. I'll keep that for another day. <laughs> okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Luke. Thank you. All right, we're done. All right, for Brian Campbell, for CBS Sports, for Malka, for Showtime, I'm Luke Thomas. Thank you so much for watching. Talk to you on Friday. And until next time, may all of your gains be loyal.